The world always has an original, whether it is in art or whether it is in every day. What happens if this is replicated and remade? Does it live up to the original? The Literary License Podcast explores the world of the original and remake as we explore and see if the remake truly stands up to the original. With your host Joe Randazzle, John Wilson, Vicky Ray, and Keith Chago, where they ask the question, does the remake live up to the original? the literary license podcast and his make remake for the month of december we'll be covering the lion king both versions the 1991 and the 2016 19 19 2019 god it feels like it's been around forever so before we get started let's find out who's with us we got vicky ray with us hello vicky hi everybody joe randazza with us hello joe hey everyone Davide and john unfortunately can't be with us Davide is dealing with work issues and john is Traveling to Vermont to spend New Year's. Really? He's always going somewhere. He's always got an excuse, John. Yeah, bloody <laughs> bastard. Anyway, before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with you, Joe. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Uh, I've been working on, I mean, Christmas time, basically everything comes to uh, comes to a halt. So um, I did speak to, you know, the, 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 the people from Joe Bob. So I will be having, uh, I will be getting a list of movies that I'm going to have to be working on in the next couple of weeks. They said they're going to be, uh, firing off, uh, the titles that we're going to have to be doing. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to hopefully getting something, some, some things in there that I haven't seen before so that I can, uh, I could do something new. Um, uh, otherwise, um, I think last week I talked about uh, seeing the holdovers, which I thought, you know, I, I think is an excellent movie and you should definitely see it. Uh, I know that I, uh, I know Vicky and I both saw uh, the Iron Claw, the new film about the Von Erich family. Um, so, uh, yeah, Vicky, I, I know I think we both liked it, right? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was sad, tragic. But then anybody knows anything about the Von Erichs knows that. That family, I don't know if we call it a curse, but they definitely saw their share of tragedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I grew up um, in, in New York not really knowing that there was an entire family until, like, there was this A Current Affair episode about them. But I was, uh, you know, I, Kerry Von Erich was one of the first wrestlers I saw live. I saw uh, I saw him and Mr. Perfect wrestle at, uh, wrestle at Madison Square Garden oh, in 1990. Oh, my God. That, that was a great match, if I remember correctly. Because they both thought they were perfect. <laughs> <laughs> a hubris on them at that time, though. But yeah, I got to, I, I got to see Carrie wrestle live, and I think I got to see Kevin wrestle in a smaller show at one point. Uh, also, I think I did at least. I, I, I or or maybe he wasn't wrestling by that point. So growing up, I was a fan of the the, the Von Erichs that I knew of, which you know were just Carrie and Kevin, and then uh, later on. Uh, you know, lear- learning about the rest of them. Um, but yeah, the film, the film I felt was very good. I have a couple of a couple of issues with it. Rick Flair. <laughs> well, Rick Flair is definitely one of them. That I got to play Harley Race was perfect. Yes, at that 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 was no complaint, no complaint. Um, the only the only real issue I have with the movie doesn't have anything to do with the filmmaking. Because the the only the only real issue I have is that I feel like this is the kind of movie that fifteen years ago would have gotten like a decent sized budget and they could have done more with it. This felt like you could feel like 
Well, yeah, it? well, yeah, because you and you and I both discussed how this would have made a great miniseries. Well, More because so that- much happened to this family that yeah. there's no way you could cover it in two hours and fifteen minutes and be, you know, without having to take a lot of license with it because you just can't. I mean, well, yeah, a- they have to cut out an entire Von Eric kid. Yeah, it was which just not- narratively. Narratively, I understand because Michael and Chris's lives were very similar. Right. So I understand having going, you know, let's just take these two and just combine them together as one. So I understand narratively why you would do that. My 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 issue is it it like it felt like had they had more money, this could have been more thorough and had this been a mini series it could have been more thorough so i so i'm not going to knock the filmmaking based on the fact that they didn't have a lot of money I'm, I'm really more kind of pointing my finger at the studios and going why aren't you willing to give these movies a chance and give them give them more money to you know to put something together it's where it's where the whole the the whole thing about just the greed in the industry they kind of down to kevin von atchison whichever you know you want to call him but uh you would think that i don't know i guess I don't know. He knows show business. He he was around it his whole life. So it might, been, it might be a simple fact that um, it's a niche kind of market. And they probably didn't know what kind of. Um, it was you know, sold out in Texas all over. Oh, the place. I, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying they probably didn't know what kind of market they were selling to. If there's like it's a bit like if you're gonna it's been like if you're gonna do a doc um, a biography on Luke Hogan, right? Oh, Hogan, excuse me. Question basically is yeah, he was very popular in the '80s. But is there a market for a, a biopic on him? Yeah, well, the wrestling. Uh, and, and the thing is, there probably is. But the question is, and then, then, then the question is, is how much I have a market for? For wrestling fans, I bet you there's been there's a lot of. Yeah, but, but wrestling fans are it's it's another thing that we were talking about, like doing another Indiana Jones film. There's right. a, it happened in history in the '90s. His, wrestling is huge. Wrestling right. TV is not so much. And the question basically is, is when you're putting bums on seats, we all know that when it comes to putting bums on seats, that right. the people who go to the cinema are 13 to 25 year olds. That's your main market. So would there be a market for this? And chances are there probably would. Now, I think that if Netflix picked it up or Amazon Prime picked it up, they probably would have spent more money on it. And then they then they right. probably released it to cinema. They go, okay oscar worthy but yet we can but we know that we'll get a huge bucks here across the world situation because even though wrestling is a huge thing in the states you also have to look at your world market as well right. wrestling here in this country oh how wow, it did i didn't really check the numbers for the when it came out that weekend I but, think it's it be very good because, but you do have zach afron in it who's proving to himself to be quite the accomplished actor yeah oh god I, i've seen just about all of his movies from comedy to serious drama, the guy uh, uh, Jeremy Allen White is that the uh, is that the other kid? He's he's becoming a huge star too. Yeah, from Shameless and uh, well, the Bear is up for a bunch of Emmys this year. So yeah, I think he's up for an Emmy for it, isn't he? Yeah. So, so yeah, there, there's there's that you know because <clears throat> he's becoming a huge star. So yeah, maybe maybe that would have carried him through. But I also but I also think that when you're making a biopic, I think um what people tend to fail is that you got to make something that appealing to watch so therefore you composite characters let's take mommy dearest for instance mommy dearest she adopted four children you only see two in the whole movie of mommy dearest christina and christopher you don't see the other two at all you know even though in mommy dearest there's huge chapters written written about these two kids but 
you know, for the sake of the movie and whatever. And for and you got to look at flow and you got to, you know, you got to make sure that tension span saves up every 15 minutes. that you don't have a dip because people lose interest. So, you know, people get composites and, you know, and then sometimes what they'll do is um, if you look at Goodfellas, what happened in Goodfellas is not exact at all. You know, when you hear him talk, there are times that they've taken three incidences and moved into one incident that all happened on the same exact time. And yeah, they my, so. yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining about the the composites or anything because, yeah, like I said, narratively, that's just something you need to do yeah. to to make the story interesting. It's just, uh, it felt like there was, um, it felt kind of cheap, like as far as like everything, um, you know, the set design, the the you know, all all that stuff. It felt like there, the, you know. They didn't have a lot of money to spend on this. Um, for the family out. involved in the making of it. What's what's coming? They were involved in the making of it. Yeah. It, that's good. Who put it? Who put it out? A twenty-four. Oh, that's right. A twenty-four. What am I well, saying? They don't. They don't actually have a lot of money. Actually, well, they did lose a lot of money on Bo is afraid. So. I <laughs> can't lose a lot of money on that. I yeah. can't wait for their next film to come out. A twenty-four. Bring the new civil war where Texas and California are the bad guys and take on the rest of the country. Well, actually, we're the good guys, but conservative, but so we're bad guys. But I can't wait to see this one come out. This is going to be a shit show. No, I mean, A24, what they try to do, from my understanding, is put out highest quality with the lowest bucks. Yeah, and the thing the thing about the Iron Claw is there there is quality to it. It, it is a quality movie. It is a great performance movie. It's just hard so, to all that shit in two hours and 15 minutes. That's all. Yeah, that's the other thing. I feel like it would have been better served as a miniseries because it shows the rise. It spends a lot of time on the rise. The decline was far more riveting than they showed. Well, yeah, and then I felt like they kind of rushed the decline. Yeah, which I, I wonder if this if it was meant to be longer and there's just a lot of stuff cut out. Well, I'm kind of wondering if it was, if it was, if it was yeah. Paramount or MGM oh, or... Yeah. If, I, if it was another company, probably what they would have done is they would release the movie alongside a two-hour documentary about them. There's already a couple of documentaries, but yeah, I can, but, I can see. But, you know, because it'd be like, you know, if you look at like Paramount and stuff like this, before they come out with anything, there'll be like this huge documentary at the same time. And then the movie comes out like a week later. Derek you know. has got a good um, episode about the Von Erich show. I, I don't remember if I've seen the dark side of the ring on them. I've seen a lot of the dark side of the ring, but I, but there's also, there's, there were also like a bunch of documentaries about them like 15, 20 years ago. So I've seen a lot about the Von Erickson. It's, you know, they're still already well, pretty well loved in this neck of the woods after all these years. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Aside from that, I, I I think that's it because like a lot of it was you know spending time with uh spending time with uh, friends around the holidays. Uh, so yeah, that 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 kind of that kind of takes away two days of doing anything. You know, Christmas Eve and Christmas hey. Day, you're really doing much. This is the last thing I remember doing right before the holidays, and then I went back to work. So uh, I guess uh, yeah, what's new with you with you, Vicky? Not a lot. Like I said, we're doing Christmas and stuff. I did go see Iron Claw. Um, what else did I? Oh, yeah. I watched this movie last night. It just came up, and I just, I don't remember if it was Netflix or whatever. It has Abigail Breslin and uh, Alexander Ludwig in it. It was called Final Girl. It was made in 2015. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. That's good. Oh, my I, God. I, I, I love it. Sure. 
me. I was like, yeah, yeah, get those little some bitches. But I mean, just, you know, they hired her to kill all these guys that were killing girls. And she was just kicking serious ass on all four of them. <laughs> oh, movie. So that was, I just, I'd never heard of it. I just seen it. I go, final girl. This seems interesting. Okay, I'll give it a watch. And I watched it for 15 minutes and I go, oh, this got merit. I think I'll keep watching. So I did watch it. It was really good. Um, finally watched the, the eighth episode of Monarch. I see where they're going with the series. I'm going to hang in there for the next few. And then I see where they're going with the, the, the next season that's going to come out. So I'm going to hang in there for it. I'm I'm not still only, I, for, I keep forgetting to get caught up on that. I've still only seen the first two episodes of Monarch. The whole lead up to the second season. And I can't say anything because you didn't watch it. So I'm not gonna yeah. say Let's keep the spoilers down. I'll try like I said, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in New York in a couple weeks. I'm not gonna have all my DVDs and Blu-rays, so I'm probably gonna be relying more on all my streamers. Yeah, so. and what else? Um I watched this thing, this the story of Pennywise the Clown and its induction and it's you know, the brainchild of Stephen King and all that documentary Pennywise yeah. the Clown came about. It was really kind of an interesting, fun documentary. You see, um, was a Stephen King's guy. Well, he came to our college and talked back in the day. We were laughing because I think he was, you know, doing that. But <laughs> I'm sure he was laughing. It was the 80s and 90s. He definitely but, was. <laughs> it was 1996, and I'm fairly certain he was lit. And I think he was pretty lit in some of this, too. But you just never know with Stephen. His fans are very vicious. So I gotta watch this. But I love, I love all of his books. After, after The Stand, I just, I don't know what happened. But, oh, yeah, and I watched, uh, speaking of Stephen King, I turned on Silver Bullet for Grins yesterday because I that's just a feel-good horror movie for me. I don't know why. I just love that movie. I watch it every time it's on. But it was cold and rainy yesterday, so. There's one issue I have with Silver Bullet, and that's, a, uh, you know, uh, uh, Gary Busey. <laughs> At the beginning of the movie, he's so much the fun, cool uncle, but then when the shit hits the fan, he kind of becomes an asshole to the kid. Yeah, yeah. Like, Who's going to believe that a priest is a fucking werewolf, okay? Right there, you know, it's like, no one's a, you know, that's why. Even his yeah. sister. Like, he yeah, have, yeah. I mean, he just has to wear ceramic crosses, that's all. Ceramic crosses. <laughs> <laughs> is that Corey Ham that was in it? That was Yeah. That, yeah, I it was Corey Ham as a little boy's wheelchair. Actually, if they went in, did they actually, I mean, seriously, was that guy so abused that he took his life? You have to wonder. That stuff goes through my head. I think. I think Corey Haynes. I think. I don't know if. You know what's going on, Holly. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't. I think abuse is part of it. I think it's. I think basically is having a lot of money, being a teenage star, and then not want, not being wanted anymore. What do you mean? Oh, do you think that's what happened? You know, yeah. I mean, by the. I mean. Corey. You know, there's. You know, he went into these two Corey films. But I mean, they had like one hit, and then they did two or three. And I mean, he he went he kind of was up here, but he he, was, he went like that. He couldn't stop. He, he, that top, oh. and he just oh, I mean, look, I mean, you have to look at his output, and it, it, was, it was down this way. By the time he by the time he died, I mean, it's he wasn't working. I mean, he he was a cute kid. No, I'm like Corey Feldman. No one wants you anymore. Just another tragic story. That's all. I just well, yeah. I mean, I think I think he turned the drugs and alcohol back. You know, I mean, but I mean, his parents lived off him as well. Same thing, like a lot yeah, of these yeah. kids have spongy kind of parents. I've noticed. Well, I mean, it, look- it's it's a weird it's a weird situation because basically what happens is is that you, you have a child. That child is 
your breadwinner of your family. Yeah. Question basically is if that's your child, you can do the Jodie Foster approach and basically keep that child under a tight lead or the Mara Wilson, or that kid has free reign and because you have to say yes to them because they can cut you out. If you're not careful. So it's a weirdly weird situation. And if that, you know, and normally what happens, you have to do a Drew Barrymore and divorce your parents. You, you can. Because the, but then again, but then your parents have to quit their job to get you to work. Yeah. So it's a really weird dichotomy about what you do. I guess it depends on the parent, though. Too. Yeah, but how, how can you parent someone who's employing you? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. A, a friend of mine right now, his 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 uh his kid is uh you know just seven eight years old and he's he's getting nominated left and right at the at the Emmys and and stuff. He's still working though. Yeah, uh, it's a fine not, line you have to try. It's a fine line as a parent as well. Yeah, it is. It really is because yeah, it's it's what what do you you have to make sure you're raising your kid right. Well, you have to protect your kid. Let's face it, Hollywood is full of predators, love or hate it. Yeah, but it's, it's not just the predators. The thing is, it's us. It's, it's us as a consumer. It's us as people. We love Macaulay Culkin until he hit puberty. Yeah. And we didn't want to see him anymore. Yeah, we, we love Mara Wilson and Miracle on 34th Street and Mrs. Doubtfire and Matilda. But once he hit puberty, we no longer wanted to see her. She wasn't cute anymore. Yeah, true. I mean, she's acting. I mean, she's 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 doing Broadway now, and she she writes stage plays, and that's what she does now. So she had to change everything. But you know, luckily, luckily, she had stable parents. Her mom died of cancer, so that took her out of the business because her mom picked all her film roles, and her dad really didn't know what to do with, didn't really know about because he was an engineer. Because I saw she was I saw her on a talk show, and she's talking about it, but. You know, but then, you know, if you're hired for being cute, though, and you don't, there's not much behind the cuteness, but then, but then let's take one of the greatest child actors of our time, Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. You know, he was brilliant. I mean, you see him in, um, you know, the success and, and pay it, you know, pay it back, pay it forward and so on and so forth. But once he hit puberty, he was no longer that cute kid and no one wanted to see him anymore. He's come back now and he's chubby. And every time he comes back and you read a review and he's in something, oh God, what's ha look how fat he's gotten. And this is in the reviews. This is nothing about his acting. This is a bit of review. I saw, I saw so that's so unpacked. People are just cruel. They just really are. We are a vile species. Well, I'm vile because every time I see him, I think no, with the Adam Driver. I, I do the same thing. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not innocent here. I mean, I, I mean, I don't put, I, you know, if I write a review, I don't put that in my review. But when I do see him, so thinking I it, yeah. Well, it doesn't know. belong in a review. No, it doesn't belong in a review the, at all. How how an actor looks physically doesn't belong in a review unless it's you know the case of Brendan Fraser in The Whale where he intentionally put on all this weight because it was necessary for the role. Then you bring it up. But then again, Brendan Fraser puts on the weight for the movie, but because he hasn't been seen in a long time, people thought he just got fat. I know. <laughs> oh my god, he did not. I go, it's for a role. He's gonna be back to himself. Yeah, but but if you saw all the articles and stuff about him, is like if Lacey, he, he he was fat, and that's the reason why no one hired him. And then someone took pity on him and wrote a role for him. And this is what you're reading. And to this day, this is what people believe. So, oh, yeah, there's been in 
entertainment uh entertainment journalism there's been a really bad uh i i don't know if it's just they don't want to pay people who actually know what the fuck they're talking about journalism is dead in this world it's dead what, I, think, Sean, I think I think it's, I think it's the top value sell is clickbait now. Everything's clickbait. Don posted something the other day yes, that yes. Uh, oh, there's this lost Stephen King movie called Sleepwalkers. I'm like it's not fucking lost. I have it on DVD. Why is it lost? Don has it on Blu-ray. It's not. It, lost it was a bad movie. That's why it's lost. No, it's not lost. It, you can still buy it. It's still out there. It's you just could, that yeah, you Stephen King wasn't proud of it. So I mean, he probably had had it buried, but you can still find it. Well, I mean, there, no, there was there was just a massive Blu-ray release like two years ago. I'm like, it's on a Stephen King box set that I own. I looked it up on Amazon. I'm like, I could order. I, I won't because I already own it, but I could order it today and it could be on my doorstep tomorrow. That's not lost. So there's yeah. like this, there's like this dearth in in um in entertainment journalism specifically. People don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And a couple of years ago, there was there was one thing where somebody ranked. All the all the best picture winners, and for the entry on Marty wrote, I gotta be honest, I didn't even watch this one. Well, why the fuck are you commenting on it then? Why are you ranking it anywhere if you didn't watch it? Yeah, good point. If you're gonna do a ranking on all the best picture winners, you need to see all the best picture winners. You can't be like, well, I never bothered watching this one. I didn't really pay attention to this one. Well, then you shouldn't be doing this. Why yeah. are people like that getting these jobs? Because well, they don't want to pay. Like I was reading. I was reading um, a review of Kenneth Branagh's um, "A Death in Venice." It was a good oh, write-up. Yeah. They go, you know, but but in the review, I and mean, then this is like a major. Major entertainment press online and said in the reviews that Kenneth Branagh takes a relatively unknown Agatha Christie and films it for the first time. It's, a Death in Venice. Both, both of those are wrong. A Death in Venice, which has been, been, been filmed four times. It's been filmed four times. <laughs> and it's also not a relatively unknown Agatha Christie story. It's actually a kind of famous one. Precisely. <laughs> and you're thinking, it just wasn't called the haunting in Venice. They changed the title to it. It's called the uh, Halloween, the Halloween murder mystery, or something like that. Yeah, it's been called that. But there, there's a, there's a couple movies called the haunting in Venice as well. There, I mean, I mean, it's just like I've heard of that. Uh, like, do your homework before you comment. And it's like, oh, a bit like a, you know, we'll watch something. And, it's like, and this original, this it has the most original plotting. And it's like, and you read the plot, and it's like, this is the plot of like millions of films already. It's like, what are you talking about original plotting? <laughs> How many movies have you seen? All you had to do is see 10, and that's the, the same plotting that I just saw you've seen in eight of those. I, I, I don't think there's <laughs> any such thing as an original plot at this point. Yeah. I think I, I think every, every single plot that could possibly go into a movie has been done at this point. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't think we've left too much out. I, I think, like, people were saying that about the holdovers, and I'm like, well, I, I love the holdovers, but this is scent. You know, this is kind of scent of a woman. This is there's there's a bunch of movies that I've seen that are very similar to this. It's just that now, in the era of only making major blockbuster movies, sequels, superhero movies, Star Wars, and stuff like that, when that's all you're fed on, that's all you've grown up on, then yeah, the holdovers is something you've never seen before. But it doesn't mean it's never been done before. Yeah, it's been like done. Well, like La La Land. La La Land was done tons of times in the 40s, that same thing. Yeah. 
a lot of people are like, oh, this movie has never been done before. It's like, have you ever seen any musical in the 40s? It's basically the same movie. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> any Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie that you've ever seen in your life is La La Land. <laughs> it's like I, I was cool. watching something last night by, by a pretty prominent YouTube reviewer uh, where he, he says in his review uh, that Young Frankenstein is the first parody movie ever made. And I'm like, what? not even close. That's like 50 years after the first parody movie I can name. Well, I mean, didn't he do... Um... Isn't it the producers a parody movie? <laughs> I, I think he meant a, a, a specifically a parody of other movies is what I think. Uh, he okay. But even then, Stan Laurel was doing those in the 1920s. Yeah. Stan Laurel did a parody of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the 20s. Bugs Bunny did a whole, a whole slew of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like these movies have been around forever. The Old Dark House was a parody movie. Yeah. The Old Dark House was a parody of The Cat and the Canary. Yeah, that was the first parody movie. Like, guys, you need to watch more movies. Yeah, you need to. I mean, if you're going to comment on something, do some research. A smidge, anyway. Maybe just a yeah. smidge. A little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's why you get these people who... who and I, there's no editor to check them to be like, uh, yeah, listen, guy, the reason the whale was made wasn't because Brendan Fraser got fat and somebody took pity on him and decided to give him a role. I heard that, too. It's like, that's bullshit. Like, that's not what happened here. No, it would have been cheaper to send him to. It would been che I'm cheaper to send him to a fat farm and get and do the Mummy Four. It would have been cheaper. <laughs> they did do a Mummy movie after the fact, but it was very not like the others. Were they they're all cheap on Amazon. So I bought the box set. Uh, I bought the box set of both all the Mummy movies and all the Scorpion King movies back when we did the Mummy. So they're re they're really not expensive at all. But yeah, by the end, Brendan Fraser's not even in the last couple of Mummy movies. Yeah, I don't know about well, he was that last one, but she wasn't. His wife wasn't in it. And were there with with the oh, Rachel, Rachel Weiss going direct to video at that point, so it didn't even matter. For your wizard dude, whoever he was. I mean, the, the the best Brendan Fraser movie is always going to be George of the Jungle. Oh God, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Duh. 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 Actually, one of my George favorite Brendan Bones. Fraser movies is Mrs. Winterborn with Shirley MacLaine and Ricky Lake. I love that movie. What was he in that I loved? He's been in so many movies. I just love him. In the, oh, God. Uh, they, ties. Ties. He was great in School Ties. Yeah. With that Honors. Movie with Honors, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sean was just mentioning that the other day. He's like, have you guys done With Honors on the podcast? I'm like, unless they did it before I joined, I don't think so. I'm done with Honors. It's a really good movie. I'm like, that's a really good movie that, yeah, seems to be forgotten. Nobody talks then, about it anymore. And then there's that one where he plays a stoner. And he's yeah. a caveman. Uh, Encino Man. Encino Man. Encino Man. Yeah, that was one. Of, I love that movie. Don't knock it. It's stupid as fuck, but I love that movie. So I look. I have no problem with the movie being, you know, being a stupid, goofy comedy. Uh -huh. it's, it's fine. Like you just have to. And I feel like I, that's always been my thing. Is I'm like, I feel like you need to judge a film by the parameters of what it was trying to achieve. Right. Well, it's funny, but we watched George of the Jungle uh, a couple nights. Ferris ago. told me you guys were watching George of the it's Jungle. St it still keeps up, and I, you know, you know what's surprising? The CGI looks really good in it. I was surprised. There's a CGI in its infancy, so sometimes you know you, look, you can reflect back on it, and something can be a bit ropey. 
But this movie did not wasn't ropey at all. I've seen more ropier CGI in movies today than it was in George of the Jungle. I, I think it's because back then they had to keep it hidden because it wasn't very good. So they're using it sparingly versus today where it's the entire sure. movie CGI, which we're literally doing one of those today. <laughs> so yeah. I mean as the elephant spot as he's going and catching, you know, logs and playing fetch, he still looked really good. I was like, okay, this is good. So well, that'd be a good way to bring in the Lion King. Yeah. Well, if 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 that if we were covering the 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 remake first, then yeah, that'd be a great remake first. <laughs> yeah. so, but anything else you've been up to, Vix? No, just hanging out, trying to get people to take my old ass out to dinner and to a gun show today. It's my birthday, and everybody forgot me. Happy birthday! Oh my god, it, it is today because tomorrow is and tomorrow is Lloyd Kaufman. Happy Joe! Happy birthday, Vicky! I forgot it's the 29th. It's Craig's birthday today as well. Well, Texas became part of the union today, too, <laughs> in 1845. So that's easier to make you remember it. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. I, you know what it is? It sucks having a Christmas birthday. My daughter's the 18th. I'm the 29th. There's a couple others thrown in there. We just said fuck it this year. Yeah. Like, well, I'm, I'm like the 8th of January, and it's like having a... No, you're not too long after me. It's, it's a horrible time to have a birthday. I mean, I, I wish I if my mom crossed her legs for one more month and I had a birthday in February, <laughs> I would have I would have had a totally different birthday experience because everyone I mean, everyone's tapped out by New Year's. Everyone's tapped out. <laughs> I know. But you Christmas and New Year. That's right. Tapped they out. Mine. But I always had my day, my birthday off when I was in school because it was always during Christmas vacation and it was always fun. Which means no one at no one at school will remember to wish you happy birthday. No, no, we used to just have keg parties. Well, you wouldn't even be in school. No, no, no. yeah. So I always had my birthday off, except well, Keith, I can see where you figure January eighth would suck. It's cold and miserable too, especially. No one has any money because no one gets paid until the end of the month. Yeah, they've already spent all their money on Christmas. Yeah. That's yes. all, that's that's always a big issue. My, my, uh, my birthday you're lucky if they can afford a happy meal. <laughs> I I could care though. I've had a good year. I'm just glad everybody's happy and healthy. That's that's all I care about these days. So, uh, what about you? Well, who, what have you been up to? Um, I've been up to. Been watching some stuff. I mean, I'm off this week, so I've been watching bits and bobs. You know. Anything that sticks out, really? Oh, I did watch this interesting Swedish film about this Santa Claus who goes around and obliviates and kills children, which was very gory, which was very enjoyable. But I can't the remember. Rare exports like what? that. Rare exports. That's it. No, rare I, I've never heard of it. I just picked. I picked up the actually. Uh, did you see that movie Sisu that came out this year? What is it? These two were the. It's set in the '40s. It's uh, this old this old guy is just kind of walking across the country, and the Nazis will not leave him alone. So he keeps killing all these Nazis. Yeah. It's a gory, brutal, brutal mess. I love it. It's the same director. So when I saw it, I I was like, I liked it so much. I was like, let me look up what else he's done. And I saw this movie called Rare Exports. And Sean was one who loved Sisu, and he's like, you have to see this movie. And he brought it to me. And uh, we watched it one night, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And then I looked it up. I looked up. I looked him up on IMDb, and I looked through his movies, and I saw Rare Exports, a Christmas story, 
and I clicked on it. And I'm like, oh my god, it's about a killer Santa. I'm like, oh my god, this sounds actually. Then I looked at the trailer. I'm like, this looks actually good. Strom didn't know about it, so I, so immediately I, I went and ordered the Blu-ray so I could give it to him for Christmas. And when he opened, he's like, rare exports. I'm like the director of Sisu made a killer Santa movie in 2014 i uh, i gave it to him christmas eve hoping that we'd have a chance to watch it i still need to see it <laughs> but yeah i bought it for myself and, and i bought it for him oh no this one i saw was deadly games oh okay deadly games is another good one i love deadly games yeah that's, the that's, one the one that's basically like home alone where the kids at home yeah and, and then uh, break in just, yeah. just killing people and animals and Joe, which movie were you talking about for the same director? At Rare Exports. Director. I've seen Rare Exports as yeah, well. Yeah, but you said something else about another movie. Deadly Games. Deadly, Deadly Games. Games. It's on, it's on Shutter. About, Deadly Games is, is on Shutter. Excellent. I love Deadly Games. Mm-hmm. It we is one of the best like, Philly Santa okay. movies. It's not working uh, the shit this week. I still have yet to see Joe Bob last Friday. Mm. There was no Joe Bob last Friday. There was only the, the, the one two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't explained it. But it's I have, just a Christmas special. There's nothing else. I still can't. I still haven't watched the week before though. So I, like it's froze up on me. I'm gonna have to fix it somehow. And then I watched a film called Salaborn with Rosamund Pike and um, Richard Grant. What was this one? Sorry, Salaborn. Never heard of that one either. Um, it's um, it's interesting. It's about. Salt burn, sorry. It's about this um nerdy, horrible guy from Liverpool, and he go he's going to Oxford, and he meets this rich person, and I'm not sure if he's in love with him or infatuated with him, but he starts he goes and for the summer lives with the, the, this guy and his family, and the family are just really rich, but they're kind of like not really absorbed to anything else going around them. And basically how he starts manipulating everyone in the family and stuff like this. And it's interesting. Um, very good performances, but I can't tell you what I thought about it. It was it's I think it's worth a watch. But I mean, it's like the critics are going fantastic, five stars, and it's all over the place. It's come out the movie theaters about a month ago. It's now on Amazon Prime here. It's called Saltburn and um and Salt I watched Burn. It. I was just asking. Everybody's talking about that. Do I need to watch Saltburn or not? Because I, I, I give it a watch and see what you think. I'm, I'm not sure what I thought. There are parts of it that I like. I love the I love movie. the end sequence. It's fantastic. But is it a horror good. movie or isn't it? Because there seems to be a problem with figuring that out. It seems to be I more. I, more I, I think. I, I mean, if, okay. If, do people die in it? Yeah, but does it? That's because people die and doesn't make it a horror. But it's more of a drama. Oh. They were talking about it. It must be like some ugly guy to come in and take part in your family. I don't think it's a horror film. I thought they were talking about something that was going to be like Skinnamarink or something like that. No, no, no. It's not like that. It feels very Dickens in a way because the family are kind of, the family own like this huge mansion, their old English family, and they had just had money. But again, they're so out of touch with the real world around them. And then, you know, so, you know. So I mean, it's probably more Dickensian, more Dickensian than anything, really. Right. In a modern time. Uh, well, I saw so much about it this morning. It was on uh, most of the like horror weekly fans and a couple other places. Yeah, I would and call it horror. Quite a people talking about it, and I didn't. They a lot of them said no, it's not horror. And somebody else said, "Well, I think it is." And, well, there's no gore. I mean, first of all, there's no gore, in it, and you don't see any. Uh, of the- 
and, 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 and deaths do occur, but they all occur off screen. And there's no, yeah, no I've heard it referred to or, more of a thriller. Yeah, it's not even a thriller. I wasn't thrilled. I mean, I, <laughs> I watched it. It's good, but it's just kind of like, um, I, I, it's one of those, I think it's it's one of those films that can divide people. Um, part of me really likes it, but part of me thinks also it's a bit pretentious at the same time. Another part of me thinks, well, maybe it's not that pretentious, but I don't know. Give it a watch and see what you think of. I'm gonna yeah. check it out as I keep hearing. I just keep hearing about it for the last two days, especially this morning. There was a big tick up in it. It's like, oh, maybe I ought to watch it because everybody's well, talking about it. Yeah, a lot. A lot of people are home right now, so we might start hearing about a lot of movies that we weren't really. Uh... That's why, because it's been out there for a while, and all of a sudden, I'm hearing people talk about Saltburn, and then well, it, was, right. um, it came on Amazon about two weeks ago. But it, before that, I went. To, it was it was at cinema for. Was it? I just I, I heard about it, but I just I, I heard about it. I mean, the, th the thing is, I, I don't know how it is in the UK, but in the US, if it's not you know, if it's not Marvel, Star Wars, DC, yeah, or that, you're not really going to hear about it. Except oh. for Argyle. God damn it! I need that movie to come out oh, so I can stop seeing the fucking trailer. I still have not seen it. I haven't seen it yet. And it hasn't come out yet. But every fucking movie I go to, I see that same goddamn trailer for Argyle, and I'm like, I just want they showed it. Um, I want to see it. I don't want to fucking see the movie. I just want it to come out so I can stop seeing the trailer. Is that what it is? I keep every fucking movie I go to, the trailer for Argyle is playing ahead. It has of been in every <laughs> cinema movie I've seen too. They've shown it. I thought it was out already. Uh... Don't worry, it'll come <laughs> out. If it does, really, if it does really well, then they'll re-release it cinema, and then you'll start seeing trailers for Argyle the extended edition. And then it'll be. Then it'll be at you know. The director's cut edition. The film that never, the film that never would go away, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah wait, I finally got to see. Um, oh God, it when Jason comes back from the dead. Jason lives. Oh my oh. God, that's the one I have not seen, and I finally see it. Yeah, you didn't see that one? No, I've never watched it. That's my favorite one in the series. The one, the one where he's resurrected in the beginning. Yeah, the, the two idiots with the bars start to kill him in his grave or whatever. He's got worms and everything coming out of his eyeballs. Oh, the one with um, Thomas. Never Batman. seen that one until the other night. Yeah, he, he kills Horshack right at the beginning. Yes, Arnold Horshack. That's why you're my yeah. It's Arnold Horshack. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh, laughs> Speaking of which, well, I don't know how, how I could forget this. Uh, Sean and I were on the Spoiler Room podcast this past Monday. You Check do. it out on YouTube. Uh, look up the Spoiler Room. We were on there to actually discuss Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, uh, because uh, Mark Krawcheck, who's been on on, um, on literary license on some of the Batman episodes, he has uh, his own podcast. And uh, yeah, we were on there to discuss that movie. It's Sean's favorite Friday the 13th movie. And it's become one of my favorites since because I, I, I did revisit it. And uh, as opposed to when I was watching it as a kid on a, on a VHS tape that was so dark that you couldn't see anything, the new yeah. Blu-rays, you could actually see what's going on. You could see a lot of the effects work and it's actually a uh, pretty solid movie. But yeah, check it out. Look it up on YouTube. Look up the spoiler room on... Uh, I saw... Yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I have played it. I used to ask people to Friday the 13th and go, do I have to? Come on. I had to play out in the theater seeing it for the first time, you know, because uh, by the time I saw it, mm. the movies were already like a couple of years old. 
Do you know that the, um, there was so much they had to cut out of that because the MPAA, the, the mothers thing? Uh, the fucking Sean, mothers of the 80s. Sean bought a Blu-ray set of all the Friday the 13th movies a couple of years ago. Um, it's the uh, the Scream Factory set. And on the Blu-ray, they have the um, uh, the comparisons. Because the, 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 there's no way they can edit the footage back in because uh, the, the masters are gone. And what yeah. they used to show the effects work was a like multi generational VHS print, and it had tracking issues and all that. So everybody who complains that oh, why don't they cut it back in? You can't. The, right. the, the footage is just so degraded, you can't do it. But and Param- the, and, Param- and the problem that basically is Paramount did not really appreciate. They did not like these. Yeah. yeah, we talk about that. We talk about how Paramount was embarrassed by these movies. Sure. We talk about how the MPAA kept coming back and going, no, you need to cut this out. You need to cut this out. Uh, one guy getting his head squeezed. It gets. We were, we're watching the, uh, the, the the unedited version, and the, the head gets squeezed like it's like that big. I'm like, oh, my God, it's brutal. And then, you know, it's like a quick thing. You just see Jason start squeezing the head, and that's all you see in the, in the version that actually got released. But, yeah, um, – Buy the uh the the Shout Factory Blu-ray set and you'll be able to see all these scenes because they are they are something else, man. Um, also like uh like the opening scene of Jaws where uh you know the camera is watching as a woman swimming and watching from underneath. This now becomes very (laughs) (laughs) X-rated. The girl that goes skinny dipping, it's like, oh, okay, well, have a thong on like we all thought previously. This girl did not have a thong on. Nope. (laughs) I just got to say that parents in the eighties, I mean, you know, I mean, my parents, I mean, they brought me up well, but God, those mothers with the ratted up hair that used to roll, you know, that they used to, you know, basically wrap up in toilet paper before they went to bed in their shoulder pads. It really did something to their brains because they really <laughs> ruined a lot of things in the eighties. You know, we, the reason why we can't drink drive nowadays is because of them. Mad mothers, mother, mad mothers. That's what you call them. Fucking mad mothers. I remember being college. I would never was so happy to see D. Schneider tell her to fuck off on TV. For, for, oh, yeah, for, music for, for is for those of you, it's music, didn't they? But the only thing that did was they put warning stickers because I was working in a, uh, a music stickers on all of our albums and cassettes. Yeah, but you know what that did? Made people I bought a four of them. What? Yeah. Yeah, we people start buying them, but people probably otherwise wouldn't have bought them. But because they have these stickers on, people start buying them. They start rushing. Oh, you know them. what? You know what sank her biscuit is when she saw that Black Sabbath album cover. We sold our soul for rock and roll, and you'd open it up, and that woman's in the casket with the cross and the black lipstick. But people just don't have no fucking sense of humor. Like, mm. come on. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's a tale as old as time. Because, yeah, because you know. of those advisory, though, people became best-selling artists because of them. So, Absolutely. Every rap, every every rap artist that you never even knew had one of those advisors. <laughs> and all of rap music became big all over. Like, Did you guys ever watch the sitcom News Radio? What with was Dave it? Foley and Phil Hartman? Yeah, I remember. I remember it. I've seen bits and pieces. I didn't hear it. I didn't listen to it though. I, I wasn't an avid watcher, but I've seen the odd episode. <laughs> there was an episode where Phil Hartman's character—it's revealed that he's really into rap music. He's like, "Oh, this stuff is great. I love the beats to this thing." And then a, a, a very young Joe Rogan 
is on the show as a uh, he he's a, a regular cast member too, and he's like the tech guy that works at the uh, the building. He's doing something in Bill's car, and he adjusts all the bass and, and treble settings. So now Bill's hearing the lyrics of the rap songs that he loves, and he's like, somebody's got to do something about these. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. I think the last time that there was a big uproar over anyone in the music, I think it was Eminem was the last big uproar, wasn't it? And that I can't remember. Oh uh, wait, no. Um, uh, just a couple years ago. Um, oh, God, what's your name? Uh, wet ass pussy. Was oh, a big uproar yeah. about that one. Oh, uh, I think it's the last song I can think of because I mean, oh, I, I, actually, when you think about it, the Me Too movement was freaking out about moot songs like "Baby It's Cold Out" and all that other shit. So they've been attacking <laughs> Christmas carols for a while. Um, yeah. Let me see. That's so. Yeah, they have been attacking music, but it's always the I mean, feminine. The, the thing about music, <laughs> the the problem with a lot of music now is it sucks. Is that it's so bland. That it's so, not it, like what about any Taylor Swift song is going to offend anybody, you know? Well, the question about Taylor Swift, this is what gets me: is Taylor Swift has the number one movie concert footage. She has, she's the one of the best selling artists. I only know one song. <laughs> I, I think she is the best selling artist of all time at this point. Yeah. Uh, I think she, that's all I know. I want to shake it up, shake it up. That's all I know. I would think, rather I would rather go get a pap smear than be forced to listen to her. I'm sorry. Well, I just but, but what I find weird what I find weird is this that she's the best selling artist and stuff like this. And you know, you know, congratulations and all that. Good. Bravo. But yeah. I go to anyone in the street or anything and just go, Can you mention two Taylor Swift songs? And hardly anyone can do it. I'm talking okay, about young people, older people. I mean, I I mean I guess that I probably if I went to a gay bar, I'd probably be fine. But um Thirty and younger, you could probably get a lot of people there because that, uh, that I, I even asked I even asked them and they're going, I know, shake it off. It's kind of weird. I mean, it's a bit like, uh, but yeah, I can go to the same. I can go to like ten year ten year olds all the way up until people in their sixties name two Michael Jackson songs. They can do it, which is maybe maybe music's just done differently nowadays. What makes you think, best, just, just nowadays? She just stands out. Whereas 20 years ago, she probably wouldn't have. I know more about her dating life than I know about her music. Well, I, I, I know that the, the Kansas City Chiefs apparently have the uh, the best uh, ratings of any football team when they, when they play on TV because of all the Swifties tuning in to see her, her boyfriend play. So... You know, and everybody was laughing. That was the, the best picture ever. It was her face all screwed up. It's like... If they, if he would concentrate on the goddamn football game instead of Taylor Swift, we watched this happen with the Dallas Cowboys when friggin' Dummy was uh, dating Jessica Simpson. Same thing. Get your dick out of football. Play football. Don't worry about it. We don't want to see your bitch. We want to watch football. We don't care about your bitch. But Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift's a lot like J Lo. Every five minutes. But here's, here's the thing, though. Every they do care about it. They do care about it because if, if, no, if they you don't. Start... everybody hates it. Have you read any NFL forum? They are sick of seeing Oh, no. Yeah. But, I mean, we're talking about. But, serious, it's still fo- not, but it still players. gets the highest viewer rating yeah. of anything. Serious they have, footballers, yeah. Because of her. No, but serious footballers are upset by it. But the thing is, 
what can the television stations do about it? Because because of her husband, more people are viewing than before. No, not really. Actually, the numbers the numbers are not lying here. They they are getting more viewers than They're ever before. Game off because of it because they want to watch football. They that, express, that is expressly not true. They are getting more viewers than ever before on on Kansas City Chiefs yeah. games. So that it's you you can't argue against the numbers here. Yeah, I know, but I'm looking at different numbers. <laughs> I'm looking at actual NFL, not Swifty stuff. Well, yeah, no, but what I'm saying, but the thing is, is that NFL people are probably are getting pissed off by it because the thing is, if you're if you're, if you're, if you're no, but what I'm saying, is if you're serious about something, if you're serious about an an art form or a sport. And then you got all these other people coming into the sport on this superficial level. They don't know anything about like sport or anything like that. And all of a sudden it's like, because these people are bringing more money into the sport, chances are how much are they dictating on the coverage that you're getting? Cause you might not be getting that's a football what? coverage. You might be getting a football coverage that's more geared to these, this new viewer demographic. It is, well, everybody knows the NFL has sold out anyway. So no one cares. It, it, it's, it's like, it's like when you, you know, like like Sean Sean says, oh, you you've seen too much, and that and and that's your problem. It, it's like when I watch anybody who's, you know, uh, any of these reviewers who 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 cover movies, they don't know any fucking movie made before Star Wars, because mm -hmm. Star Wars, love it or hate it, came in and completely changed the game. It definitely changed how cinema. And, that, and that's you know that it's it's the same thing here. It's like look, people who are like Keith said, people who are serious about it, people like me who are like, dude, seriously, there's better movies out there than than than, than fucking Star Wars. It doesn't fucking matter because everyone's gonna come. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that, unfortunately, advertising bucks dictate. Yeah, it does. Unfortunately, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's right, and I'm not saying that it's a. Oh no! Wait, I'm not saying it's right really or wrong. But, but what I'm saying is the numbers just do not lie in this case, and the, the NFL ratings are the highest they've ever oh, been during Taylor Swift numbers. I'm talking about NFL viewers that can't stand her. The Taylor yeah. Swift viewers are watching because of her. But yeah, the that's what I'm viewers. saying, and that's what's being bringing the viewers' services up. Unfortunately, yeah. so the, that's but, the thing. But that's the good thing. But They're I think really what, we're all for, what we're all forgetting here is that Taylor Swift's relationships don't last more than a year anyway. No, she'll be writing songs about how he sucked in bed in the next three months. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah, because she's like J-Lo. She's like J-Lo. It's like if they're happy in a relationship, they don't, of course they don't, have, they don't have an album coming out. As soon as that relationship so for the men fails, out comes an album. Yeah. Every time J-Lo got married, there's an album. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I mean, and I, Diddy, I also like say Diddy, this: Diddy, that backing dancer for J Lo, Ben Affleck. Yeah. Then, then there was um. That, Back with that, Ben Affleck, ben they Anthony. Ben. Then, then she was in a relationship. She didn't do any album. Now she's got. Now she's got remarried. So now she got the Ben Affleck mail. I, I could also say this, because yeah, we're, I I work at a sports <laughs> bar where we show every single football game because we have all. <laughs> All the TVs are tuned in. If the Kansas City Chiefs are preempted, we get a rush of like 25-year-old girls who are coming in to watch the Kansas City Chiefs game. Yeah. Because I mean, they, they can't watch it on TV at home. So they're gonna come here because hey, Taylor might be at the game. And you know, they're, like they're you said, wrong. Someday but, their brain cells will grow back. 
Yeah, it, but another thing is, is that um, she'll break up with this guy. I mean, this is she won't. Be yeah, married. everybody will hate Kansas City once he dicks this bitch over. So don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she tried. She tried to ruin Harry Styles' career, didn't she? At one point, because he was, she was he was sleeping with her, and then they broke up. And then he then she was, the Kennedys. The weird thing is, though, it kind of like he grew. Because the of Kennedy it. boys do. They got songs of their own too. Yeah. So it's if, funny. If you haven't had a song written about you, you haven't you haven't lived life. Precisely. So. Actually, interestingly enough, if um there is a good podcast out there by the Lawrence brothers, Joey Lawrence and his brother. Really? His two other brothers. Him. And they interview Mara Wilson, which is excellent. I suggest that. So but their their podcast is quite fun. So really, I didn't know they had one. Yeah. So it, Joey Oh, bless him. I mean, I, him. <laughs> he, he, he's really fun to watch. He's really nice looking, but you know, I think I think he was typecast a lot. <laughs> Thanks. Look, <laughs> one horror movie he was in, uh, uh, Urban Legend. No, was he an Urban Legend also? Yeah, he's an Urban Legend. No, uh, remember him in another one called Rest Stop that was just like this direct to video uh movie by Warner Brothers in like the, the mid 2000s, uh, after the Blossom years, yeah. And before, Long and before the, the Melissa and Joan years, <laughs> in that in that graveyard years. <laughs> That's back in the, the well. That's best back in the post scream era, where everyone who was a star at some point is like, "Hey, wait a minute! If I jump in on one of these slasher movies, it could launch my career back up." This didn't do that for him because it went direct to video, and it was uh, it was okay. It wasn't anything like to write home about. Well, there's a there's quite a few of those. There's um, like I think I got a couple of them actually, and they always had like the the scream layout in the poster. <laughs> yeah, always. This one didn't. This one had the other. The other overused layout, uh, you know, the uh, the the the, um, the back of the victim as they're like walking down a road and like like dragging something behind them. That was the cover this one got. That's another overused horror movie uh, cover trope. Because I but got yeah, that's Green Marsden in it, which is like a, a Stepford Wife's um ripoff. Yeah, but it came out it came out it came out like the same time that you know. The fal the faculty uh, faculty came out and scream and yeah that that's the that's the floating head style where you have like <laughs> one person's floating head and then all the supporting cast members scream did it the faculty did it Halloween H two O did it um I know what you did last summer did it they all use that same template I think yeah, they still use it over and over and over I know. think they still use it today. Go with they do. Oh yeah, but they just kind of like um, they just kind of slightly oh disturbing behavior. That's the name of the movie. That's another one that used it. Yeah, yeah, Fans that's the movie. I think disturbing behavior. So with Katie Holmes <laughs> and Nick Nick Stahl. David oh, I don't know what movie you're talking about. What happened to Katie Holmes? She disappeared. Um, she got a lot of money from Tom Tom Cruise, and now she's very picky. She's very picky. She's not going to marry those Scientologist people again. If huh? you could, if you could afford to be picky, man, do it. You know, uh, yeah. Robert Downey. We were talking about hey, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't want to do any of these Marvel movies anymore. He's like, look, I made my money. I want to do stuff that makes me happy now. And you know what? Have like, at it. I just, I honestly, I mean, like, um, what is it? The last one, but The Rock made. I, you know, Black Adam. That wasn't that good. 
You know, I mean, yeah, I, I joked about that, that it's like I fed an AI a hundred hours of uh, superhero movies and told, told it to make me one. And this is what came out. Like, that's what that movie was. It was just generic. Uh, you know, every every trope that happens in a superhero movie happens in this movie. I hope DC, I, I really hope Warner doesn't screw us over like Marvel Universe is screwing over everybody. Well, I mean, right now they're in they're in the end of the, you know, the end of the phase that started with the Zack Snyder movies. James right. Gunn is going to be starting his right. phase soon. Like, he just got hired at the beginning of this year, I think. So we're not... We don't know what's in store. Well, I mean, we know as as far as like what he said in interviews is in store, but right. we don't know like the the quality. We just kind of hope that James Gunn, because he said he's going to focus more on storytelling, is is going to. One going can only to hope play. storytelling is where it's at. That's where it all begins. That's where <laughs> the magic happens. Is a good story. So you know, the the other day I was I was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, because he's like, you know, I don't think it's so much that there's superhero fatigue. I think that's, I think there is part of it. I he do. Said, I think super- I, part of it is also, um, you have all these movies taking place now. The, the the big thing that's been happening the last couple of years has been the multiverse thing, which I think ran its course very very quickly. Right. Um, you have the um, uh, you have all these actors. You have Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Scarlett Johansson all coming out and going, did you guys really like those movies? Because we did them for the paycheck. What we really want to do are these movies over here that you guys aren't seeing. Like that's, there's been a, a, a proliferation of that coming out the last couple of years. So I think, I, I think that's also kind of killing the business a little bit where, where people are like, wait, they don't even like these. Then why am I watching them? If Robert Downey Jr. is telling me, you know, I, I just did it for the paycheck and Chris Evans is telling me the same thing. Um, I think that's part of it. Um, I think the the um, the glut of it is like just every other every other month there's a new Disney Plus Marvel miniseries. I think that's that part of that killed it because it didn't seem special anymore. Now, ah. well, you know, another thing is though. I mean, I'm a you know, I like you know Batman and Spider Man. You know, I've I fixed it for some comic books, but I have to admit that all superheroes are kind of the same yeah they are and we get too much of it you realize it's like you know if if they haven't if they haven't been bitten by an insect or um, been tampered with by supernatural or some kind of space object with these special they they, they have special powers they don't have special powers and have a lot of money and they're able to buy very expensive stuff and they're all kind of the vigilante sort of thing and then you kind of get and then you always have these you know basically you know their villains are basically suffer from the same thing that that they made them a hero and there's just so many stories lines that are available i mean you know I'm i'm a batman fan and i know this but you know when you got when you have this much output coming out you know, you kind of just see the same story being pushed out over and over. I mean, I just watched Shazam. Yeah. Shazam's a good movie. Shazam 2 is a good movie. But you've seen it a hundred times before. Aquaman, yeah. you've seen it a hundred times before. Black I Panther. The only thing Black Panther did was add a, a Native American and Black cast. That's the only thing different. Not the the story's the same, but (laughs) and it's just it's it's tiring to constantly see the Marvel heroes fighting a blue or purple light emanating from the sky that has a bunch of nameless, faceless 
goons coming out of it. Yeah. It's like that's been done a million times Has at this point. Has seen the new Aquaman yet? I've heard no, it's terrible. But I saw the first one, and I mean, you're terrible. Nicole Kidman walk running around in her scuba outfit saying that she's queen of the sea. James Wan, I think, has already disowned Aquaman too because I think they made him uh, they made him change a lot of stuff. Which okay, what's the point if this is going to be the last movie in the series anyway? Just let the guy make whatever the hell movie he wants to well, make. I mean, let's take Aquaman. I mean, come on, it's like you know, if you want to, if you want to, if you don't want Aquaman to come out of you, just get out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, when I mean, I'm, I'm I remember sitting and watching the first Aquaman. And the only and I saw Nicole Kidman running around, and the only thing I could think of, ask any tuna you happen to see, what's the best tuna chicken of the sea? And that's all I could think of all the way through is chicken of the sea tuna because she kind of looked like the tuna mermaid. <laughs> 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 but you know, I mean, I you totally forgot about that. And and the and the thing is, the best thing about Aquaman was um his. His first nemesis, which they don't even talk about as well. I can't remember his name is Napier or something like that. The and um, I can't begin to with an N. Escape me now. But that was the best storyline. They don't cover that one, so that's like oh. But anything, anything that's stuck in the sea. I mean, basically, the boys does it better, and you can see where the limitations are. Yeah, good point. You know? It's a bit like. You know, it's a bit like Superman in this fucking kryptonite. It's like, well, I don't understand why Superman doesn't take his money or take Lois Lane's money and get someone to just remove all the kryptonite. Yeah. Every time you see a Superman movie, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, saving the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kryptonite. Oh, <laughs> how comes the kryptonite? It's like, okay. You, you, <laughs> you missed one more trope in all these in all these superhero movies that makes them all the same. All of them, without fail at a very young point in their life, lose their parents or parental figures. Exactly. Yes. All of them. All of them. Spider-Man, Superman, Batman. Wonder uh, Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman. She doesn't know who her father is because she's Amazonian. They just rape men. <laughs> I know they do hold him down and force him to get a spiffy. I mean, how do you rape a man? How do you rape a man? I would like to know the logistics to that, just in case, you know, asking for a friend. Well, I know. Stop. Imagine what they do. I mean, you know, Wonder Woman, that, that island that they're on is very scientific advanced. So they probably just sit there and drug them and just draw out the semen and just artificially inseminate themselves. I guess. I guess. <laughs> Anyway, before we go any further with this, we should probably get to our feature, which is The Lion King, which is a 1994 American animated epic musical drama film produced by Walt Disney Feature Animation and released by Walt Disney Pictures. It is inspired by William Shakespeare's stage play Hamlet with some elements from the biblical story of Joseph and Moses. The film was directed by Roger Allers and Robert and Rob Minkoff in their featural directorial debuts and produced by Don Hahn from a screenplay written by Irene Mechie, Jonathan Roberts, and Linda Wolverton. 
The film features an ensemble voice cast that includes Matthew Broderick, Maura Kelly, James Earl Jones, Jeremy Irons, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Nathan Lane, Ernie Sabella, Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin, Rowan Atkinson, and Robert Guillaume. And its original songs are written by composer Elton John and lyricist Tim Rice, with a score by Hans Zimmer. Um, initially, Lion King was supposed to be a non-musical, leaning towards a style similar to that of a documentary. George Schreiber, who has made his feature de directorial debut with Oliver and Com Company in 1988, was hired to direct, with Alice joining him soon after following his work as a story artist and a head of story on Oliver, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. Allers brought in Brenda Chapman and Charles Saunders, whom he had worked with on Beauty and Aladdin, to serve as head of story and production designer, respectfully. The Lion King was released on June 15, 1994, receiving critical acclaim for its music, story, themes, and animation. With initial worldwide gross of $763 million, it finished its theatrical run as the highest-grossing film of 1994 and the second-highest-grossing film of all time behind Jurassic Park. It also held the title of being the highest grossing animated film until it was overtaken by Finding Nemo in 2003. The film remains the highest grossing traditionally animated film of all time, as well as the best selling film on home video, having sold over 55 million copies worldwide. It received two Academy Awards, as well as a Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. It is considered by many to be among the greatest animated films ever made. The film has led to many derivative works, such as a Broadway adaption in 1997, two direct-to-video follow-ups, the sequel The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, and a prequel parallel The Lion King 1 and a half. Two television series, The Little Lions King's Tim, Tim Moon and Pimba, which ran from 1995 to 1999, and The Lion Guard from 2016 to 2019, the latter which premiered as a television film titled The Lion Guard Return of the Roar in 2015. And a photo realistic remake was released in 2019. The film was selected by Preservation United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress of being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. The Lion King is the first Disney film to have been dubbed in Zulu, the only African language aside from Egyptian Arabic to have been used for a feature length Disney dub. Let's cut to the trailer of The Lion King and be right back. Welcome back to the Leisure License Podcast. We're covering Lion King from 1992. So, Vix, what are your thoughts about the Lion King from 1992? I love this, and I have lots of fond memories. One, because this is when Disney still liked kids and families and fun. They were still making great little cartoons and whatever. I don't know. This That just reminded me of the old times. You know, Disney was still Disney when they were making these cartoons. Um, I remember it 
and loved it so much because my kids watched it over and over and over. And if you had a toddler at that age, at that time when this came out, you watched The Lion King and you had the soundtrack and you had to play it in the car. Then there was the merch, you know, it was just all, I mean, this, it was, I mean, I love Alpha John to begin with, but I've always loved this soundtrack. It's a beautiful soundtrack. I, whether you like Elton John or you like, you know, sappy music, but it's just a beautiful soundtrack. And it just, it was just a win-win all around. I could see why it did so well. It was just a perfect um, formula to come together between music. And I mean, Jeremy Irons, you know, I know we're talking about the next Lion King after this, but Jeremy Irons is the best star, you know? I mean, I think, I think why Disney animation works and I think why it works better than other animated companies is that they hire people. And even though Jeremy Irons is an actor, Matthew Broderick is an actor. I mean, the biggest, to be honest, the biggest, part, the biggest, the biggest cast actor in this whole, in this whole movie is Whoopi Goldberg, really. Yeah. The rest of them, the rest of them are just actors. I mean, Matthew Broderick, you're not going to, no one goes to a Matthew Broderick film to see Matthew Broderick or a Jeremy Irons film to see Jeremy Irons. They're actors. I and, and they're very, but they're very, but they're very good at what they do. But they're excellent at what they do, and so and they hire people not because they're stars, not because they're recognizable actors, because they know that these are the best people for these roles. They are. They were. And, and I think that's why Disney does so well at that. Where otherwise, you know, when you went to go see Lion King, it wasn't Lion King starring Jeremy Irons and starring Matthew Broderick and start. It wasn't that at all. And even Aladdin, who which had Robin Williams, who was a huge star at the time, yeah, didn't the genie. Robin Williams is an Aladdin at all. We just saw Aladdin and Robin Williams provided a voice. Where a lot of the animated companies, oh, that was great. Whether it's the Fox, Illuminati, or Dream, DreamWorks is probably the worst culprit of all because they advertise the voices first before you even know what the feature is. Right. And that's what I like about Disney is because I think what makes them work is because they hire people. They don't hire an actor because they want an actor to bring in the bucks. They hire the right person oh, for the role. Well, I think, I think it's because they know. Uh, Vicky, you broke up there. Oh, I said that Jeremy Irons is perfect for Scar, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the other the other person we could say was probably a huge star at this time was probably the young Simba, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. That's right. That's right. Those are probably the two. But yeah, you're right. Jeremy Irons is somebody that if he pops up in anything, I'm going to love him in it. Yeah. I and he's always a, he is a great villain. Awesome. No matter what movie you've seen him as a villain in, he is the best thing in that movie. <laughs> he's, just, he's just got a nail. I mean, he can oh, be yeah. a, a good guy too, but he, he just can go back and forth. He's very diverse. But they're all like voice actors as well, though. As well. I mean, Jeremy Irons, I mean, he, he's Shakespearean. He's a Shakespearean yeah. actor. Um, taking, I mean, Rowan Atkinson as Azuzu or whatever the bird's name is. Azazu, Azazu, brilliant. Robert Guillaume, yes, fantastic. I mean, and the best. I mean, let's face it, the best father of all time. Whether you're talking about Star Wars or The Lion King, is James Earl oh. Jones. <laughs> that, that's one thing. You know, when we get into the other one, uh, you know, that was one comment I was going to make is you don't even try to get anybody but James Earl Jones for this. Yeah, I was wondering when they made the remake, you know, how they were going to get by with that one, too. It's just like they got to have James Earl Jones. They have to. Well, I mean, he, but he but again, he is someone. I mean, I saw James Earl Jones with Cicely Ty Tyson on stage doing a cat on the hot tin roof on stage here. 
and he comes out and I mean to him it, it just his voice it just attention yeah you know, it, it's so rich and everything like this about um, his, I don't know what his voice is it's just one of the he's just got that projected well I mean I, I mean, mean when you talk about him the barbarian when he plays the bad guy the snake guy you know with all the snakes and stuff He's really monumental in that too, just by playing a petty villain. Oh, well, Luke! Luke, I am your father. Yeah, that to well, I you think he's. Can we, can we say he's probably the greatest voice actor of all time? Yeah. yeah. You know, and um, but you know, but even you know, Nathan Lane is Timba. Yeah. yeah. Again, another stage actor. Matthew Broderick is a stage actor. He's done movies, but he's a stage actor. He always stuffs on Broadway. You know, um. And, you know, and there are people who know how to use their voices, you know. And the thing is, and I think the reason why they tend to go for voice act, I think the reason why they go for voice actors is because you have to learn voice training about how to move your voice and how to use your voice and stuff like this. Because on stage, you have to learn to do that. Where in a movie, you kind of have to cut everything back. You have to, you know, if you're a movie actor, you, it kind of, you have to dial everything back for, for a screen because the camera's right there in front of your face. Where when you're a stage actor, you can do everything bigger, and that and I think that works for animation, and I think that's the reason why they picked this. Jodie Benson was a Broadway actress. Paige O'Hara from Bell was a Broadway actress. R Robbie Benson was another Broadway actor, even though he had done movies beforehand. Um, so I think that's probably the reason why the line the Lion King voices are so phenomenal. They paired them really well, though, right down with the, the facial expression. I mean, they just really did it well. The kids sounded, you know, like the kids. And then, you know, and then they get a little older. They transitioned really smoothly. It was a real fluid cartoon, you know, which I know we're going to talk about the other one, which the facial expressions was what was important to me and the kids when we were watching it when they were little. And, you know, when you get to the new one, that goes away, you know, you just, well, even like if just just can't wait to be king number, the, the animation they put on there, and the thing is, the story keeps moving forward. Right, right. Yeah. Or yeah, or be aware. There's a huge, huge difference <laughs> between the two versions. I love to be prepared with the whole Nazi thing going on. That's excellent. Yeah, those so be prepared, not be aware. Be prepared, and yeah, yeah. The original version, there's there's the. You you see the the you know, almost the goose stepping, you know. Yeah. So, but even yeah. but even like the backing vocals for that with the hyenas going, you know, we'll have food, lots of food, you know, and all that's going on in the background and the arrangements. And Lou, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg did a hell of a good job too with her voice character. Ellen John has to be recommended for the melody lines. But what sells this movie is not the Elton John music. It's the Elton John's music being redone by Lebo M. Yeah, he, don't... He, he gave you everything that African sound. I don't mind the African sound, but I, I just... Uh, we'll get to that next. I just... It's hard to compare the two without doing side yeah. by side. This yeah, thing... no, but what I'm saying is Lebo, Lebo M came in and he, he, had, he took all the, the Elton John music and the Tim um, Tim Rice movie. The only one he didn't touch, there's two songs he didn't touch, and that was I Can't Wait to Be King and uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? But all the other music, he gave it that, The Circle of Life, which basically has that, he arranged all those. 
and he he did fantastic. I mean, oh, I, I, I can't have true. one without the other. But you need the Tim, you need the arrangement of Lee Bohem in the in the original, which he also went on and did the Broadway show as well, which is excellent as well. Didn't they leave songs out though that they should have just kept from the original in the movie though? Well, well, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the remake because we're, we're yeah. bring the two because yeah. I'm saying this this did not work for that one. This did not work. This worked. Everything worked for the first one. Everything. I think everything works. I think everything works in this because, I mean, by the by the time the by the time they did Lion King, Disney had it sorted, had it figured out. Little Mermaid first, Beauty and the Beast next, right. Aladdin after that. This is their fourth feature, right? And I mean, by that time, I think they they had they had it in the can. They knew exactly how to put a story together, right? What done. And because there's there is really no lull in this in the original whatsoever. There's no there's no, no minute where you got think your mind just kinds of wander. You're just kind of captured with the story. It's a really tight story. And I also say what makes Lion King work also is the fact that we've all lost people in our lives situation. And that whole thing is that they live in you and all that sort of stuff. That has that message that they live in you and the missing and the longing. And that's what Disney's is very good is for having those lifelong lessons, but at the same time, having these things that you can relate to. And Lion King has a lot to relate to. Yeah. Yeah, this is emo emotionally one of the best stories they've ever told. I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're basing it on on Hamlet, uh, but every uh, yeah, you're right. Everything about this movie just works, and the fact that it only runs eighty seven minutes means that it's going to be a tight story. Hmm. You know, it's going there. There, there's no, there's no messing around here. There's no, we are, we are only doing everything that that you know every every frame of this movie. There isn't a single frame wasted. No. That's that's the thing about this movie that's going to make it perfect and is going to make it just completely, you know, last forever. What came is, after Lion King? Do you remember off the top of your head? Pocahontas. Was it Pocahontas? I think so. That makes yeah, that, yeah, Pocahontas, Hercules was after this. Well, I, I think um I Toy Story came out of probably, but that that was Pixar, but distributed by Disney. So I oh. don't know if you yeah. I don't know if you want to connect the Pixar and I mean, the, this is, the animations. This, I mean, this is what Disney refers to as, or what Disney fans refer to as their Renaissance period. Yeah. Right. That's what. It's, well, it just seems like they were happy doing this stuff back then, and they loved doing this stuff, and they loved everybody. Still, they loved America. They loved movies. Uh, loved kids. They loved families. Still love America. Stop. All after a while, this is, these were so back then. The, I, I, well, I, I mean, the thing is, is um, I mean, I think what you have to look at. First of all, is that things come in ebbs and flows. Absolutely. And though though they're up here at some point, they're gonna be time they're not gonna be so far up there. I mean, they had the problem in the eighties, they had the problem in the sixties, they had problems in the you know the well, everybody the, has uh, problems. No, but I'm talking about you can you can sit there and go, Oh, Disney's fantastic, and then you can mark name off Snow White, Pip, you know, Bambi, da da da. But then, but then you also had the sixties view after like bare necessities where you had, you know, Robin Hood. And you had Oliver and Company, and you had the Black Cauldron, and you had all these other ones where they kind of went down. The Rescuers, the Rescuers yeah. Down Under, which weren't huge hits, but they kind of went, you know, they kind of go up and down situations. And I think now it's like, I think Pixar is still very strong for them. But I think that once people real, what happened is that people stopped wanting animation. 
they stopped wanting cell animation. So then they went, then it's like, oh, now we have to do it computerized. And I think they're just trying to find their footing. And they've had some fantastic stuff in their thing. Soul, excellent. Elementals, another excellent film. And they like but they're but they haven't found their they're still I think they're still looking for their footing. They're not quite sure where to go. Well, they have somebody taking over who said things are getting a little better with the, the same. They're they're getting better, but I think they're lost. And I think anim I think we're at a point where animation is lost at the moment because we have Illuminati, though they did very well with the Ice Age, Fox did, but now they kind of gravitate to Dr. Seuss, which we've seen the Grins, the Lower Max, and Horton Here's a Who. But saying that, they weren't these huge money makers that they thought were gonna be. Right. And then you have, and then you have your other animated feature, you know, the ones you came out with Shrek and things like that. And they're kind of, those are just brilliant. I love Shrek. You can't ever well, get you know, but but that was but that's two thousands. Yeah, what, I know. What they've done what they've done for the last fifteen years. Well, that's what everybody had a sense of humor and you can have a movie like that too. But the interesting thing is, if you look at the animated movie that's made the most money is Spider-Man and the Multiverse 2 films, and they're doing fantastically well. And, of course, Super Mario Brothers did fantastic. Well, well, well Super Mario Brothers was universal, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but, but I, I think which was done by Illuminati, who did the Grinch ones. Yeah, but I so, think part of what, what, what kind of hurts them now is kind of, the I, I guess, the greed up top. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it's just like, it, 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 they stop. I mean, you still have movies like Coco. Coco is phenomenal. We yeah. covered that a couple months back. Coco's excellent. Um, you I still have stuff like that, but it, it, it just feels, it just feels, well, uh, God, we'll get to it in the 2019 version of this. It, it's just but a I, lot I of think, the stuff now. I feel I think so a lot. Oh, sorry. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, what uh, I was saying is, I think I, we're going to get into it in, in, a, in a you know a couple minutes with the the remake. Is I feel like I feel like a lot of the new product is soulless, and it's made just because it's like, hey, I, we can make a billion dollars if we do this, and that's it's a wrong reason to do anything. I understand that it's a business, but you've no, got to like. I think what happened with Disney personally, I think what happened to them is around COVID. And this is when things kind of spiraled. All of a sudden, you had parents going, "I can't show my kids." Uh, Disney films because of the messages for the messaging, which is like we can no longer show Snow White, we no longer can show this or that or anything like that because it wants the female. The, our children are going to want to be female, you know, princesses want to be rescued by men and da 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 da. Oh, we can't show him Little Mermaid because she changed herself to be with somebody, and all this stuff started happening. So what you found is Disney's lost its way. It's like what what not, what what can we make that people are not going to sit there and tear apart every five minutes. Because all the classics are all the all the but all the classics are considered formula. They were trying to appease the masses with all of the weird well, things. I don't on. know if they were the masses. I think they were trying to plead the, the loudest squeakers. I'm well, gonna say I don't, I don't think I, I'm sorry, but I don't think they're the majority. The but when problem, you have, I mean, but I had there have been stars in this country who sit there go saying that they burned their videotapes of Little Mermaid. They burned. Aladdin, they they've got they've got rid of all this stuff because they don't want their kids showing these negative images of what they can be. And you got <laughs> actors, you got actors saying this. And the thing is, that's why I'm saying it's from minority because actors are not your majority. They just got yeah. the biggest mouths. The, the thing is, when you're off. when you're making any movie, is you're if if you try to make a movie that's going to please everybody, you're going to fall on your face because that you, that they went the way 
they got away from the family formula and that trying to appeal to the new trendy things that are going on. And I think it got them in trouble. I, I, I think, and the thing is, I don't think they, they did it because they go, we want to be a diverse, huge company. I think that they thought that basically if they went in, the, and the other thing is animation, you got to remember that what happens three or four years ago is what you're going to see today right. because it takes three or four years to come out with anything. Right. So, and I think what happened is, is they thought that, okay, well, obviously all these people are turning against us because they're just reading the big, you know, people, just because someone's sharing something doesn't mean this is popular opinion. I mean, first of all, I think, I think we're starting to learn all this now. I mean, it's, it's taken us long to realize that's, that that's the thing. Just because it's written down doesn't mean it's real situation. It's just, it might be real for like two or three people, but it doesn't mean that means for the majority. Right. And I think what they're, I think what they're finally probably realizing now, and they do have a new head, head now, is that I think they're going, they were chasing after this, like, oh my God, everyone's turning against Little Mermaid. They're turning against Snow White and Cinderella and Pinocchio. And well, they turned against Snow White because of Rachel Ziegler. She just went shooting her friggin' mouth off and everybody hates her now. Well, but but that's, that's what I'm saying is, is that people gave this a lot of thing. And so they, they're thinking like, shit, we are going to do Little Match Girl next. We can't do this now. We're going to be boycotted. You know, oh, we can't we can't do fairy tales anymore. Oh, my God, the world's gone against us. And I think that's what they found themselves in. So I think they scrapped a lot of things and go, OK, well, let's go. Let's go in this direction because this is what they want. And then they found out that's not working. And now, as you notice, and then they did the remake situation because they got to keep the money coming in. So that's well, I'll tell you what. Let's do remakes and we can sit there and attack these issues that we've had. Like the Lion Kings had these issues about, you know, it didn't have a huge African-American cast in it. It was multinational. It shouldn't have that. So they had that problem with the Lion King, which during um during BLM, they had the problem with the Little Mermaid that being crushed. So we let's re let's reissue this. Beauty and the Beast was a problem because she had Stockholm Syndrome. So we need to change the style there. So we do these live actions to oh, fix these. I'm just tired of it. Just can't we just make movies and just decide? Um, I think, but I think we're gonna. I think we will see. I think we will see a change. Uh, it's, gonna, it, it's gonna swing back. But I think when they start, but when they start losing their money, <laughs> things start swinging back. The only way that, that, that's what I was gonna say. This is like the 50s and 60s where the big studio movies were starting to not do well anymore, and you started having like the Scorsese's and the, the Coppola's and everybody kind of bubbling up underneath. And then they became, they started being able to actually call their own shots. Right. And I think that's going to eventually hopefully get back to because it's not sustainable anymore. And I, you know, I don't like the monopolies either. You know, the fact that they were, they we're slowly, all these studios are buying each other out. I don't like that aspect of it because that's going to, that's going to uh, limit the number of voices that you're actually going to hear too. Independent film really kicks into high gear, you know. Well, Hopefully. independent independent film is the one that saves you from time and time and time. Always, again. always. I would have never what 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 the independent but, films are doing, and they then that be and unfortunately then that becomes the thing that becomes oversaturated, and for a while you have to have the the indie filmmakers kind of build everything back up. It's it's cyclical because look at what happened after Pulp Fiction came out. Yeah. After Pulp Fiction came out, everything became a Pulp Fiction style movie. That's well, true. That is then, I think I think you can do that with any kind of art form, music, same thing. Yeah, you get somebody who you comes know, in. We, we had Elvis Presley, and how many Elvis impersonators? The Beatles, then Al Beatles yeah. impersonators. Yeah, Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin impersonators. Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. Yeah, 
I go, I've never Madonna, how many Madonna wannabes were there in the 80s? I've never got tribute bands. I don't know about you know. Well, on new, the, kids, new kids on the block. We didn't have new kids on the block. You wouldn't have Backstreet Boys and Sync and all the others behind that's it. True. That's we're, true. We're not, we're not even talking about tribute bands. We're talking about like bands that are just straight up ripoffs of something else that became huge. Yeah, Molly Crew became huge, and then that's how, that's the reason why I got Def Leppard and ACDC and all the old ones coming. Oh, I yeah. can't. I, th I think that's. I think that's the way around. That's the way around all the old ones came because. Well, that this metal, this metal music is doing really fantastic. We got this here. Oh my God, we never saw this coming. Fifty new bands coming behind them. I'm yeah. not saying that these fifty bands behind them are bad. That's not what I'm saying. Right, right, right. You know, but they, they had to change what they were doing. Um, you know, and then then the next big game changer was Nirvana. Nirvana yeah. and Pearl Jam became huge, so we started getting a bunch of. The Blue alternate, so yeah, but it still was good music. I don't know what the hell you call it, but shit, no. Well, I mean, first of all, music's made for the young anyway, so basically, we're probably too old. Speak for yourself. No, no, but what I'm <laughs> saying, what I'm saying is, music is. I mean, I mean, I'm not the demographic. I think, we're, I think we're too old for BTS. I know what you're saying, though. Or Taylor Swift, or something like that. And yeah, I mean, there is exciting music coming out, but music's. Music's really you have to know where to look. And that I think I think that's the problem we have today is that there's too much available. We have to know where to look. Well, right. yeah, yeah. Spotify, iHeartRadio. There I mean, there's so many titles and people. I don't even know who they are. My, they don't my, know who I, who the, the our shit is. But, I mean, when I bring up some of our stuff from our from our childhood, they're going, What the, the fuck is that? <laughs> Just like why you have to search for it. I mean, my, it's a bit like it's like movies, movies as well. I mean, the thing is, if you want to see good stuff, you're probably not going to have to go. You're probably, you know, you're going to have to get like shut. If you want to see good horror films, you're going to have to get Shutter, really. And you're going to find stuff that you don't even fucking knew about. It's like yeah. if you all go to 2000, 2023, it's like, when the hell were these? Yeah. The problem, the problem that I see with music now is that it's too safe. What do you mean? We, we don't have rock stars chucking TVs out of at a hotel I windows know, anymore. And you need Motley Crue, I get you. But, but it's not. But I. But I'm not even talking about just the antics. I'm talking about just the music itself is too bland and safe. Like yeah. there, like there, there used to be an edge to it, and that, and and that's why I'm like, you know, well, if somebody, you, you know, know you, you know why that is though, don't you? Everything's corporatized because the major the major label, labels bought all the independent labels. Yeah. There's no independent labels, and the thing is, the voice of a voice of a I think that's probably why. We got we got a misplaced generation. That's probably the reason why they're dying their hair and doing weird TikToks. Is <laughs> um, and and I and I think it's because they don't have a voice. Yeah, probably. Because, well, because our voice, okay, you know, I, I'm a child of the late '70s, early '80s. Our voice basically was Sire Records, which was new, which came out with like you know, Tears for Fears, um, you know. You know, so on and so forth. We had all these excellent bands and stuff like this, and because they were all on independent labels. And then our movies, we had all these independent movie labels, whether it was Liquid Sky or we had, um, you know, Eraserhead, uh, David Lynch films, and all the other stuff that was gone. They were all independent -y things coming through. I kind of forget that things have changed so much, but things, I don't know, maybe the, I just like the way things were run better. But it's the independence that gave us our voice. It's the independent label. It's the Pesh Mode and Talking Heads yeah. and yeah. so on and I, so forth. Uh, yeah, have independent label. Our voice. That was their voice. The Sex Pistols. Yeah. They were our voice. They were independence. I mean, even when even when you travel now, 
you know, like, like McDonald's is everywhere. Subway is everywhere. What, what happened you know, the best places when you, if I were to come to Dallas, mom and pop places that you used to go to that mom and pop place that Vicky knows about that. I don't is going to be the best food I'm going to have in Dallas. Yeah. You know, it's, but, but the problem is we become like this entire general. And I started seeing it, man. When I started going back to, back to Brooklyn after I, I left in 2011 and when I started going back I saw all the mom and pop restaurants that I went to had yeah. started to close down and there's a subway yeah. or a White Castle or a McDonald's in its place and I'm like we're losing our regional identities in that way yeah you know and it's but, the same thing but if you look at school those little, those little four table Italian restaurants in Brooklyn are some of the best fucking food you are ever have to same, same, here, Boston, same, same, same here in Chicago. Every everyone goes to everyone goes to all these massive chain restaurants, but nobody's going to the you know the the the, the little the little uh, neighborhood place where they can get real. That's the place. That's yeah, the place but you, but you know, but you know why though? We've raised a generation that basically. Let's look at the school system. We've taken off all. We've taken out all art. We've taken all 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 causes of the free thinking out of our school. Our other education. Critical thinking is not implemented anymore. Well, we want we were basically we want everyone to think the same thing at the same way and move the same way, and then and we don't, no differences in the thought processes. So, and you know, the thing is, is we we gear education now that all our children need to be white collar workers. Everyone. We don't, you know, don't, you can't, you know, you can't be an artist. You can't be this. You can't be that. You have to be this. And yeah. that's what we get. I mean, you know, you know, when I was in school, we had art, we had home economics, we had shop, we had all the mechanics. We had a myriad of different crafts we got. Mm-hmm. Now I know from, you know, speaking to my friends, kids and stuff like this, they got one pathway. Yeah. You know, and so we have a generation that basically we, they, they, there's no independent music labels there's no independent movies there's no independent the only independence that we're seeing at the moment is through streaming service and that seems to be with television television's got this new renaissance and it's that renaissance is still going whether you're watching the last of us whether you're watching game of thrones or fargo or and the list goes on cables over with i think cables but even that stuff is all derivative also right they they haven't yet they haven't yet caved in there because there's, I think the crop the think that they haven't yet caved in the whole message thing yet. There are stuff that there's got the messaging going on, right. but the thing is that I think they're, they haven't yet. And because there's so much of it out there that, I mean, how many streaming platforms are there? I don't, I couldn't even tell you. Off on the and so you got, so you got to make, and that kind of pushes you to make sure that you're coming out with at least one good product a, a year, at least, because if you don't, they're going to go to another platform. There's so many platforms going around here, whether, you know, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon prime, well, Disney, um, you know, discovery, Piku, Crunchyroll. I mean, and then there's more than that. Yeah. <laughs> there's there, there's there's a major business issue with those and it's just the style of business everyone's going to give you a free month hey the <laughs> first month's going to be free the first one's going to be free so what do you do you you wait until the series you want to check out runs its course 
then you join it for the free month. You yeah. watch the entire series. Then you can't. Then you cancel before it charges you the the, the fourteen ninety five. Yes, yes, and no. But the problem basically is, is that if you ever try to cancel any of your streaming service messages, and it's really hard to cancel because there's so much bait clicking that you need to go around and try to figure out how to cancel. That by the time you've done it, sometimes you think maybe it's just easier to pay the fourteen ninety five. And, and, and I, th- I know. Like, have you ever like Amazon? Well, Vicky had Shutter on Amazon. How easy was you to get rid of that Shutter channel on your Amazon? <laughs> I don't know. It I mean, me, I had one. It took me fifteen minutes to figure out to, to actually cancel. Amazon Prime yeah. deliberately fucks with you, so you won't cancel their bullshit. I will say that it is so hard to find your Prime. Like I canceled IFC because I don't watch it. There's nothing new on it. They never put anything extra or new on it. Nothing that I can't watch on IFC Originals at night on a free channel. But yeah, it was a bitch trying to get rid of it because I'm trying to find my channel, my stuff, so I can cancel it, so I can pick something else up. Yeah. You know how I had to cancel my you know how I had to cancel my Apple so I didn't have to pay for it after the six month free trial? Is I had to give them a bogus credit card. And because they couldn't charge it, they canceled it. That's the only way I, I mean I hit cancel. They kept they kept like going on. So I kept it's like next month, like, oh my god, they got me another month. What's going on here? And they charge do, as long as you don't notice it. Netflix yeah. is the worst. Netflix. Yeah, somebody gives you yeah, you know what? That's not a bad idea. If somebody gives you like a Visa gift card uh, after you spend the 50 bucks, hold on to the card and then use it to, to cancel your, your streaming subscription. That's a great idea. But Vicky yes. uh, Vicky yeah. mentions IFC. I remember a couple a couple years ago, I walked in on a friend of mine. I don't remember if it was Sean or if it was when I was living with someone else. Or it might have been just me flipping channels when I was li- when I was living in uh you know um in LA and I was just flipping through, but I remember like going through the channels and finding like I'm flipping through and I go to IFC and I see Star Trek two and I'm like, why the fuck is a Paramount movie on the independent film channel? It just wasn't any good anymore. I, I got tired of trying to find a movie on it. Well, like, my qu- my question. Well, let's say this: How come Pretty Woman is on Netflix, but it's also on Disney? It's a Disney film. What's Netflix doing with Disney films? I mean, they, they obviously they licensed it, but yeah, I, I wonder. But I mean, why would they license something that popular? I mean, I can understand like doing nothing in common with Tom Hanks. I can understand that because or outrageous fortune with Bad Midler and Shelley Law. I mean, you know, one of the you know, touchstone films that didn't do that great. They did I, okay. I assume it great, that great it's a lot thing. like the television licensing deals in the fifties, where you just license a package, mm-hmm. and it's like you get you get these ten titles that everybody loves, but you also have to stream these four hundred titles that nobody ever watches, right? Mm-hmm. We get that with BBC, all our BBC program that we have to pay a TV license for. I have to pay a yearly TV license for, which is 180 pounds a year I have to pay for a TV license here. And all the programs are on Netflix. So why am I paying? Why am I paying a TV license? Because they're going to have on Netflix anyway. I mean, when I move to America, it's not going to be a big deal because it'll be on Netflix over there. So I'm not going to miss anything. So. Just won't have to pay the TV license anymore. And if you get T-Mobile, you'll get free Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True. So, but um, but yeah. So when it comes to like Disney and um, the Lion King in this Renaissance period, I think that basically, you know, 
I think they had it down pat. They knew exactly what they're doing, their storylines, their the casting, even the music, they knew what they're doing. You know, they knew that they knew when there's too much music and they knew when there's not enough music. They had it that they even had that right. Right. You yeah. know. I mean they 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 also understood, you know, these movies are geared at children, so you keep them in a time level but that's not there for us adults that kind of go over the kids heads a little bit yeah. but it's, it's not that it's, it's more you got it's more like you know and we'll, we'll we'll get to it when i you know i put on my blu-ray of the lion king yesterday the movie is 87 minutes long when i went to disney plus last night to to find the remake i saw i saw a runtime of two hours and seven minutes i'm like who who what fucking kid are you trying to show a two hour and seven minute version of the lion king to not back then anyway like, who well, is this for? 19 minutes alone. So that would accommodate for the 29 minutes. Well, yeah. Yeah, that, oh. we'll, we'll get to that because I was so happy when the when the closing credits started at hour 49. And I'm like, oh, thank God. It's 20 minutes to closing credits. I can just stop now and go to bed. <laughs> you know, but I mean, Vicky Oswald has it correct about basically that Disney knew how to write for the adults and as for the children. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that wasn't the point I was trying to make. Because yeah, there's there's jokes in Shrek that I remember because I was like in my Asher's head. Yeah, I'm in my 20s when Shrek came out, and I'm watching it with like uh, you know with like my uh, my girlfriend at the time. Her parents had another kid that was very very young, and I remember watching Shrek, and I remember seeing uh there was like a joke about Pinocchio, some some sexual joke about Pinocchio, like like he denied something sexual and his nose grew. And I and I remember my girlfriend and I laughing at that, and the little kid just doesn't—he doesn't get it. He's just laughing because he's seeing the nose grow. And I'm like, "That's yeah, that's one of those things that's going to go right over the kid's head." But the parents in the room are going to go, "Ah, I get that one." Well, and then when your kid watches it again in 15 like, years, they're going to be like, "Oh, I get that one now." Well, it's sort of like the animation from like 1930 something when you see, you know, you know, like the the same with the walrus eating the little oysters with the bonnets and stuff. Well, that same cartoon has, you know, or is it Tom and Jerry I'm thinking about, where they're in heaven and you see that bag of kittens come out of the, you know, I mean, they just, just stuff like that just fucking blows your mind, you know, because you know, they all, someone drowned the bag of kittens, you know? So Disney, well, I mean, if we're talking the 1930s, we're also talking depression era. So those kids went through some shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you're right in some capacity it does, it does, you know, goes with the, the time but i mean i think i think got caught up too much with politics and trendy and i think that's why they're starting to suck now but i think that they might get their shit together again. i mean oh. disney disney at this point in the renaissance also dealt with universal messaging and as well the whole universal message is uh basically living up to your parents you know you know per, per, you know your, your parents um what's the word i'm looking for you know your parents level of living living up to your parents potential living up to you know living up to your parents and then, you know you see that in little mermaid you see this also in lion king situation right. you know it's basically you know my father's gone how can i fill his shoes and that, that and that's a universal thing we all have to go through that when we're when we're going into adulthood we you know we know what our parents want for us well then you got the you know you got you got uh, simba he thinks he's killed his father because you know scar had put all that into motion now yeah, and bullshit in his head that you you're responsible for your father's death yeah yeah, yeah so, but, he also, mean, but he also had the whole thing thing when simba does come back as you know and basically he's like 
how do I fill my father's shoes? And then, and yeah. basically, you know, like you, you, you have to be yourself. You have to be out yourself. in the woods. You have to do it your own way. You know, was eating bugs the whole time. Was he eating me? <laughs> was he well, eating bug, me? Bugs, bugs are meat, as we know today, is because apparently, no, you know, not, not in this household. I will not eat. Yeah, that, that's gonna. That's gonna be your. That's gonna be your new beef. So get ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um. But you know. But the thing is, is like. You know, but but there is that universal sort of thing about our parents and stuff like that and growing old. Well, yeah, that's that's oldest time in Disney, man. That's uh, that goes way back. And, you know, and and that I think that's when they, you know, that's when they excel. And that's why and I think that's the reason why Lion King also speaks to people as well. You know, you have to be yourself. And, you know, then they that speaks in Lion King as well, and. You know, yeah. but, oh but there's also like little there's also little micro messaging in here as well. It's just like, you know, getting on with people who are different than you, who read differently than you, and all the other stuff and being accepted and making your own family because Simba makes his own family in Lion King with Timba and um you know, um just they just had the formula down right at this well, time. Well that's 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 kind of I mean but then I don't know if you die and retire. And they just put in people who don't know how to write a story. Is that what happened? Well, I think, but you know, I I do think I think they're I think they're meandering at the moment. But I do think that we in in our lifetime we'll see them make a comeback. I really hope so. I really want. I that. think I think I mean I think Pixar took a lot of their. I mean I know that they Pixar is now Disney, but I think Pixar took a lot of their shine away. I, I think even to a degree, like these movies, like like well, again, we'll we'll talk about it when we go to the 2019 version. When when we watched Beauty and the Beast and the remake a couple of months back, I think we all came to the same conclusion of the Beauty and the Beast remake isn't necessarily bad. I actually thought it was quite good. I think it's just why tamper with perfection, and it feels like they're just doing it just to make more money. I think that there's a lot of things that they could be messing with that didn't do well for them yeah but, and they can remake it better now yeah uh, whether or you know whether aristocats for me is it's a bit ropey you know there's i mean i i like the song everybody likes everybody wants to be a cat but beyond that you know or um you know pete's beach dragon they did redo which we'll cover but uh, you know there's the black cauldron was it too bad? that that could have been done better or basil the great mouse detective Probably could have a a bit of a revamp to it, you know. That could have, you know. I, there's 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 things in their catalog that haven't aged or done very well that they could. The rescuers, the rescuers would be fantastic for rescuers. A reboot. But I, I mean, love, but, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's I love it, but like it could use a reboot. I could use the first thing to pick up. Even the animation style, stale. The the animation that looks stale it doesn't look rich. It looks cheap. You know, it's not it's not the animation style that we saw like in Secret of Nim. Well, that's that's when Disney was having financial problems. That's why the animation looks cheap. You know, they did, well, they did Xerox. Um, they did they were Xeroxing their cells. Basically, what they're doing is uh, that's the reason why, if you notice, they have the black line around all their all their like. I never noticed. Like, if you look at um, Bear Necessities, Aristocats, um, um, Robin Hood, um. 101 Dalmatians. If you notice, they got these black lines around the characters that you don't see previously. They're photocopying because it saved money. They weren't painting each one individually. I didn't know that. That's fine. Okay. Oh, I just bought 101 Dalmatians on Blu-ray. So is that what I'm going to end up seeing when I pop that in? 
No, it, I mean, it's an original. Uh, if you watch it on, whether you watch it on Blu-ray or watch it on DVD or whether you watch it on video or rather watch it on television, it's the same animation. <laughs> it's, I'm going pretty. Even, even Jungle Book has it. I mean, it has, you know, um, it has that. It doesn't have it doesn't have the richness of let's say the we're talking about the animation, not the story. But it doesn't right. have it doesn't have the richness the richness of the Alice in Wonderland or the Cinderella or the the sixties. Why they looked a little different? I never knew it that. Was, but it could also be Walt was filmed. Could also be Walt was dead at this point, so they they were probably well, they, were, they were losing money at this point. They, so yeah, they. they they, were the, well, yeah. they they did animations. They had great stories, but they cut back on the animation to make money to help save the save people's jobs. Well, that, well, I mean, the big thing that that ended up saving them was the theme park, though. Yeah, because that was what late sixties or early seventies when that opened. So that yeah. was. Well, their, you know, their TV station was doing okay. I mean, their TV show was their weekly tel TV show was doing okay. Yeah, uh, the Wonderful World of Disney. I watched yeah. it when I was a kid. Completely out of left field. Before Disney bought that land that they built Disney World on, you know, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis's 2000 Maniacs was shot on that land. Really? You got another, another one in Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the swamp. I, yeah. Had, I swamp. interviewed Herschel uh, shortly before he died. And yeah, he uh, he was like, oh, yeah, did you know that, that that's the land that Disney, that Disney World sits on now? I was like, wait, it's what? Yeah, because it's all swampland, wasn't it? So swamp. yeah, it was all swampland until the Disney Corporation bought it. And yeah, they filmed that uh, that that uh, I, I I love it personally. The rape, the rape scene, it. the rape scene with the poker and everything was all filmed there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine that you got somebody being drawn in quarters uh, shortly before Disney buys the land. Like two, like uh, this movie came out in like '64, so it must have been like right before Disney bought it. Yeah. What was it? I don't think I've seen it. 2000 no, Maniacs from the uh, from 1960. I, have, I don't read it. No, it was Disney. Mark. They they remade it with Robert. Englund. No, it wasn't a Disney movie. No, that. I didn't know it was made there where Disney. Yeah, it's the, it's the land that eventually became Disney World and Epcot Center. Um, so yeah, if well, you look it up, it's uh, it's you know, it's an early gore movie because yeah. like gore wasn't like really like big in horror movies at this time. And Herschel Gordon Lewis was the, was the one that kind of oh. in, in the United States, at least because in, in Italy, the, you know, they, they started to do all that stuff, but he was the one who really bought, brought like the gore movies to the United States. He was the one who was doing that. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that a movie that was, you know, being raked over the coals for being like it's this shocking. gory, violent, shocking movie. Creepy, tense, shocking. Yeah. What's that? Maybe. Shocking! Forty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a remake as well with um Robert Englund and Lynn Lynn Shay. Yeah, that's a 2000, uh, 2001 Maniacs. Yeah. People who watch this movie also watched Beyond the Darkness, Straight Jacket, Torso, The Legend of Hell House, I Drink Your Blood, <laughs> nineteen seventy. Uh, this checks. This checks out because I've seen every one of those movies. Girl. I've heard of the Gore Gore Girls, but I have seen Season of the Wet and Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. Bone Tomahawk comes out of nowhere on that. I don't know why. I actually like Bone Tomahawk, though, I will say. 2000 Maniacs is the film Brigadoon should have been. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm those not of you watching this for Lion King, we recommend 2000 Maniacs. Yeah. <laughs> seems to be a musical coming towards your way so that's like a, yeah. that's I mean it's kind of a musical 
Yeah, it is kind of there's some there's some like really hillbilly music going on in the background of that one. So yeah, it's basic. It's basically some guys are going through, or, or uh, you know, a, a group of people are going through this uh, this swamp in Florida uh, where they. I, I, God, it's been a long time. I don't remember if their car breaks down or what. They no, they, they no, they go into the small town and this the small town appears every fifty years or twenty five years. Or yeah, something. and it's it's a it's a bunch of. Uh, I I know what you're talking about now. I yeah. But the hillbillies getting back to getting back at the Yankees. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what it is. It, it's 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 them. Uh, yeah, killing everybody. These you're gonna these kill people. those Yankee boys and those Yankee girls. <laughs> so yeah, it's it is a uh, it, it's it it's it's campy. Uh, we'll we'll put it that way. Uh, Beauregard, yeah. pick it, burn side. <laughs> I'm gonna have to rewatch it. That's been a long time, so now I've got to watch it again. Because why not? I'd say out of all his films, that's probably the easiest one to watch. Yeah, yeah, because because that one actually moves. His other things. Yeah. Well, a lot the, of his stuff was really really boring. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, like blood has blood. moments. Yeah, blood, blood feast. Blood feast kind of like has some really draggy moments where the guy just starts talking for no apparent reason. Like, shut up. Shut up and get back to ripping out tongues. Yeah. So. <laughs> they live in you. Well, on that note, let's rate Lion King from 1992. <laughs> so, Vic, how many stars would you give Lion King? I'll definitely give this one five. I love the musical score. It's just fun. Kids loved it. And it gives me, brings back a lot of good memories, too. What <laughs> uh, Also five. I, there, there's You could have a discussion of the greatest animated movies of all time. This is always going to come up. Yep. You know, uh, it's, one of, it's one of, if not the greatest animated feature ever made. It is. Um, so... Absolutely. I think it's the best of all the Disney animated movies. I think it's the best one. Um, is it the greatest ever made? As far as I've seen, yes. I don't know if there's stuff out there that I haven't seen that might be better, but I, from everything that I've seen, this is, I think, the greatest animated film that I've ever seen. It's perfect. You can't deny it. It is. It's a perfect I mean, they got it right with this one. They absolutely got it right. Well, oh, they this nailed one. every aspect of it. You see the, uh, if you go on Instagram, sometimes you'll see like videos of like people posting like their dogs are watching the scene where uh, where Mufasa dies and uh, Simba yeah. finds the body, and even the dogs are like getting emotional about it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's that's. I kind saw of what that. I know which video you're talking about? I think I saw that one too. So yeah, it's it's one of those movies that I'm like, it resonates. It, it gets deep in your soul. Um, I, I, you know, um. Uh, what, what you know, my 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 dear friend Shanta, she had a she had a baby in 2019, and I remember she posted a video of Zeno when she was like a year old, and it's just like she's watching The Lion King, and you can hear, yeah. you can hear the circle of life, and I just see, you know, the smile on Zena's face, and she's like cheering. She goes, "Yeah, yeah," and I'm like, it it, it resonates if you show this to your your one year old or you show it to you know your 90 year old parents you're all gonna have an emotional reaction to this movie because it's that fucking good it's that perfect it, it nails everything um and 
so yeah, I, I, I can't say enough good things about it. Th thank you for wanting to cover this because it gave me an excuse to finally buy it on Blu-ray. Because <laughs> I was like, why don't, why do I not have this? Who's to buy a movie, Joe? But okay. I mean, I'm yeah, going to give it a solid five because, I mean, this movie is like, it's iconic. Everything about it is iconic. I mean, and the thing is, you could tell iconic is it even the opening credit is iconic. I yeah. remember if you look at the pilot episode of Modern Family, when the two gay guys um, introduced a daughter that they adopted, Lily, and they come out and he dropped, he's dropped in the African robes and he holds up the, he goes, turn down the switch, the, um, the, the spotlight and holds his baby up to the circle of light. <laughs> But there, I mean, there's and Makuna Matata. I mean, we, I mean, that's that is that's canon. This whole movie is canon now. You know, the um, the the thing with the people holding up their babies, they do that at sporting events now. They do the Simba cam, where yeah. if you have your baby with you, they play the Circle of Life, and people are holding up their babies. Yeah. So yeah, it's become just it's, not, it's iconic. Everything about this movie is iconic. So it's a yeah. solid five all the way through. There's nothing you can fault. Exactly. And this movie, long after we're dead, you know, 300 years from now, if this movie's still going to be playing somewhere, it's going to still be alive. This version. And I think what I feel about the best Disney movies, and we, you know, we discussed it with Beauty and the Beast a couple months ago, is 25, 30 years, 100 years from now, if you're going to show your kids The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, you're going to show them these animated versions. Mm-hmm. Because they are absolutely perfect. They're timeless. And another thing about The Lion King as well is that a musical is made from this per this animation film, and kids are doing the, the musical all through schools now. And it's, and it's been running on Broadway for 20, 30, 30 years. It's just celebrated the <laughs> 30-year anniversary on Broadway. Uh -huh. so. My nephew, uh, you know, when he was, when he was first born, uh, you know, he was like three, four years old. He was really into that new show, The Lion Guard, which is a spinoff of this. Yeah, that's you know that 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 got him to watch a lot. He loves The Lion King too. Mm -hmm. But you, you so. no generation that I think doesn't love this movie. I don't know anybody that doesn't like. I, I've never heard anybody say they hate The Lion King. I tell you that. I hate The Lion King. Now you've heard someone say it. No, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's absolutely perfect. And uh, how about you, Keith? Yeah, I gave it a solid five, so. Night And the spirit of life Calling Marmalade And a voice just the fear of a child
this brings us to our next feature, which is Lion King, which is a 2019 American musical drama film directed by John Farrow, written by Jeff Nathanson and produced by Walt Disney Pictures and Fairview Entertainment. It is a photorealistic computer animated remake of the Disney's traditionally animated 1994 film. The film stars the voices of Danny Glover, Seth Rogen, Chadwell Osborne, sorry, Chatwell, I'm sure I screwed up your name, Alfred Woodward, Billy Alcher, John Canney, John Oliver, Florence Kasumba, Eric Andre, Keegan Michael Kay, J.D. McRae, Shandy Wright Joseph, and Beyonce, Knowles Carter, and James Earl Jones reprising his voice role. The plans for the remake of 1994 The Lion King was confirmed in September 2016, following box office success for a Disney remake such as The Jungle Book. Farrell was inspired by certain roles of the characters in the Broadway adaption developed upon elements of the original film story. Much of the main cast signed in the early 2017, and principal photography began in 2000, mid-2017 on a blue screen stage in Los Angeles. The virtual reality tools utilized in the Jungle Book cinematography were used to a greater degree during filming of The Lion King. Composers Hans Zimmer, Elton John, and lyricist Tim Rice returned to compose the score alongside Knowles Carter. Uh, we'll get to that later. Who is John in the reworking of the soundtrack and wrote the, a new song for the film titled Spirit, which he also performed. God bless us all. The film serves as the final credit for editor Michael Lavasi, who died on September 23rd, 2018, and is dedicated to his memory with an estimated budget of around $260 million. It's one of the most expensive films ever made, as well as the most expensive Disney live-action remake of all time. The Lion King would appear in Hollywood, Los Angeles on July 9, 2019, and was theatrically released in the United States on July 19, 2019, in the Dolby Cinema, Real D, 3D, and IMAX formats. The film received very mixed reviews from critics, but was a hit at the box office, grossing over $1.6 billion worldwide during its theatrical run, and broke several box office records, including becoming the highest-grossing animated film of all time since August 2019. It also became the seventh highest-grossing film of all time and second-highest-grossing film as of 2019, which has now been beaten by many other films since this time, as well as the highest-grossing Disney readaption to date. The film received nominations for Best Animated Feature Film and Original Songs during the 77th Golden Globe Awards and 25th Art Critics' Choice Awards. It was snubbed at both. It was nominated for 73rd British Academy Film Awards and 90, 92nd Academy Awards for both visual effects, though it was snubbed for this. A prequel film film titled Mufasa, The Lion King, is set for release on December 20th, 2024, with Barry Jenkins attached to direct. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Lion King for 2019. We'll be back with our wonderful thoughts. Life's not fair, is it, my little friend? While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark. Begging for scraps. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Run away, Simba, and never return. 
take your place in the circle of life. Welcome back to the Jealous Podcast. We're discussing the Lion King remake from 2019. Starting with you, Joe. What are your thoughts of this? I could sum it up in one word. Why? <laughs> I was just going to say. Why? <laughs> and uh, good night, everybody. That's my thoughts on this. Why? <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> you know I'm going to say one thing positive about it. It looks fantastic. It does. And, That's and, it. And this is. This is going to sound, you could copy and paste my thoughts on the Beauty and the Beast remake almost verbatim for this. Does it look good? Yes. Is the voice acting good? Yes. No, I no, I, I have to disagree in the voice acting. Right. It was it was boring. And God, you know, excuse my language on this, but they whitewashed the voice acting on this. And even, and I mean, I'm like, Don, Danny Glover is talking on this. Where is he? You mean Donald Glover? Donald Glover. Donald Glover. Sorry, Donald Glover. Boring. Bouncy. Beyonce. Nola. Nyla. Boring. The only, the, the, only, the only person. The only person that you. Okay, James Earl Jones and Mustafa. Fine. He he carried the carried that again. But every other acting voice is so nondescript. They there's no feeling. It's the most. There's the no most unfeeling. No if you, feeling if I, emotion. These characters do not have the emotion and the visual that you got from the prior. It's that, prior that is that There's is definitely, no emotion. The you can you can express so much more emotion on an animated character's face than you could on 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 these on but, these animals. But, but but the thing is, beyond that, there's no emotion in the voice acting. No, yeah. there's even Beyonce outside outside the gay Pimba. Pimbu or whatever that little meerkat thing is. He yeah. sounded totally gay. I don't know what they were doing for that. This <laughs> is like, you know, and 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 the thing is, the only the only funny thing in this whole thing for me that was entertainment entertaining was when he had the warthog and the meerkat, and they're saying, "Be our guests." Yeah, yeah. Oh, they that's... started that, and then they get cut off, which is that was the great the that's whole good. thing. That we need that long sequence with the dung beetle like why yeah. why does that why is that in here why is everything dragged out so much longer why <laughs> excuse me i think i'm coming down with something was, so i mean scar was boring where's the scar he has like a little yeah, bit of that is the one that i was going, i, I mean, was going to mention that one specifically because it's like he doesn't hold a candle to jeremy irons and oh, there is they did oh. the one perfect. The one perfect thing they did was they did not even try to replace James Earl Jones because you cannot. Yeah, well, there's no way, no way. The, you know, the, you know what I think the problem basically is is and and this is, you know, and please, this is not coming out of a face a place of face racism, but they because Disney had a problem with the Lion King, the original one, when BLM sorts and said they're you know these people should be played by black actors, so they redid it and they did it with black actors. And there's nothing wrong with black actors, right? But instead of looking for names or whatever they were trying to do, 
hire people. I mean, Alfie Woodward, Alfie Woodward as um, Simba's mom, excellent. She has a she has a record. She made she gave that voice her own. James Earl Jones, another one. Right. Everyone else basically are just there's nothing memorable about their voices. You know, if you want to go for an all black cast actors, go for it. But find people who have individual voices to voice these these characters, because otherwise, if if I put if I put this on in the background and just had to listen to it and do and not give you any visuals, you wouldn't be able to tell the characters apart. I wouldn't know who was white or black. I could tell you that. I mean, well, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that first of all, it shouldn't matter because animation anyway. You're it not, is animation. That's why. But I'm saying, but if you want to go this way because you're saying Africa is this is Africa and what whatnot, fair enough. You can go in that direction, but find voices that are individual voices within that community that have their own distinct thing. Chris Rock probably would have been fine. Because he's he has a distinctive voice. Danny Glover has a distinctive voice. You could have gone with him. Well, whoever you're gonna go with, but the thing is, when it comes to Beyonce or all the other care, all the other people in it, they'd have all their voices sound alike. There's nothing that that there's no emotion. The there's no emotion in this version. The thing well, is, they, have, they, have no they might have done some kind of auto tuning or something to get them to all sound alike. I don't know. Well, no, I don't. But I mean, let's say I mean Beyonce. She might be able to sing, but she. I mean, if you if you've seen her doing any films whatsoever, she, she's not the most emotional looking actress with her voice. You can't. I mean, basically, even when she's yelling at her husband and stuff on, you know, when people catch her on YouTube yelling at her husband, there's still no emotion being inflicted there. <laughs> you know, you know, bastard. <laughs> Well, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, what made Disney films work, and all their animation films work, is that they found the right voices. Doesn't matter where they're from or whatever. The right, right. Voices exactly. Character. Seth Rogen, even his voice seemed a bit black, bland, a little bit. He didn't really come across like Seth Rogen normally comes across in a film. Yeah. Eric Andre, I mean, you know, Keegan Michael K, J D McRae, you know. You take all these voice actors, and you know I've seen them do. I've seen these actors in movies, and they're very good in movies. But I think you, I think you need their faces. It's kind of a bit like Batman the animated series. If you went with a bunch of names, I don't think it would have been fine. But they found the right voices for the right character. You do, you do have a point on that because I could not tell you off the top of my head without looking it up. And I know the voices of Eric Andre, of Keegan Michael Key, uh, of all these people. You don't like, yeah. If you were to put a gun to my head right now and tell me, you know, either you tell me exactly who Eric Andre played in this, I'd be dead. I couldn't tell you. I mean, so yeah, you know, you are right on that. You are right on that. The, the, the only the, voice, the, the only voice that there are only two voices that were that really came across on their own, and that was the Meerkat. And um and the warthog, they came across as individuals, and that's it. Even well, Sim- and that could be because again, Sim- they, 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 like know, he was you're talking, talking about Seth Rogen has a very distinct voice, uh, and then uh, Zazu because it's John Oliver, so you know his voice. Yeah, don't forget Robert Guillaume in the first one. You know you can't. You know yeah, Robert Richard Robert Guillaume was fantastic in the first one. I mean Matthew Broderick knew knew how to get emotion. I mean you know, and I think that. 
they maybe they should have gone for more stage actors instead of personality. I think they went for personalities here. They didn't go for actors. And maybe you need to go for personalities. And you know what? You're you're right again because there there's you know the, the original Lion King, there's no no names on the poster. I remember seeing posters in the theater with all the names of everybody in this. So yeah, maybe they were just like, hey, let's chase the let's see if these stars bring in anybody. Maybe that's what happened here. But you don't need but you don't need Beyonce. I mean, God, they should have got Heather Headley from the Broadway production of Lion King come out. Fucking fantastic voice. You, I mean, you hear her on the Broadway recording, um, and she's, you know, there's points where she's talking, and even if you hear her in Aida when she did um, Disney's Aida on Broadway, distinctive voice, great songs. Even I mean, that spirit song that she sings. Can you re can you sing that? Me? Can you just sing two lines from it, or even one line from that? The most bland, fucking boring song of ever. Why? Why are they put in there? So she has what a song. But the thing is, they could have used Shadowlands. If you listen to Shadowlands on Broadway. And the song that Nyla sings called Shadowlands, or the simple song of one to add the song He Lives in You. I think they gave her her song because that was part of the deal. She got that, you know. Well, I mean, fuck off, Beyonce, because we don't need a song. We, we it's bad enough they added a song that didn't even fit into Dream Girls. You know, they put her in Dream Girls, which is a nice, good film. You know, I'm not going to take anything away from there. But the cat, the story of Dream Girls, let's take this. The fat girl, Effie White, is the one with the voice, but they decided to go with the pretty girl who doesn't have a very good voice, and they push her to the front because she looks good, right? Be and they push the one with a great voice to the back. Right. So you're watching Dream Girls, and all of a sudden, they, they give, Beyonce writes a song for herself called Listen, where she sings the hell out of it, and she's got a great singing voice. I'm not taking that away from her. It's not the fucking character, isn't it? It's okay, now your voice can match this other great voice, and the whole movie's about this great voice being kicked out because she's too fat. It doesn't have the right look. And then you got this girl style that has this voice that's bigger, that's better than the person that they kicked out of the group. It doesn't make sense. And here, so, into the hyena, though. The hyena's like Vashenzi and everything. You don't have Whippy Goldberg anymore. So they're sadly lacking the hyenas. Even. Well, their, their faces were odd. The first one. Well, yeah. I mean, where was the where was the personality of the height the three height? Bonsai and Ed, there, yeah. Yeah, that, that's where that, were the that, personalities. They didn't that, have it. Ed had more personality in the original animated exactly than any of these characters did, and Ed had no talking lines. None. <laughs> and he was the best part. They were so goofy. They were needed, you know. And the music. I mean, I just can't wait to be king. I've never seen something that was orchestrated and choreographed so boringly. I and then yeah, the uh, oh, the, the 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 scar song is just—it's such a drop. That and was why the they could they could have they could have paid homage to the original. What they were afraid they're gonna. Uh, offend some Nazis or something? What were they hoping to offend? Because it would have worked. They could have still used it. Nazis are bad. They haven't gone to the good side. They never will. They're always going to be bad guys. So you can always nod back to that. It's not a bad thing. I don't know. Did you see the blowback Wolfenstein got around this time? Because they were like, oh, of course they're making a movie about shooting Nazis. Yeah, what are we going to do with it? Make them heroes? I mean, there's, <laughs> only, there's, only, but there's only like 4 million Germans in the world. So, I mean, so what? You fucked up 4 million, but if you got... To, billions of people okay with it what's the problem 
And to be honest, I, I know, mean, also it, I, it, it, Israel's not going to speak out against it. So you're going to be I, fine. I've also, I've also, ne I've also never met a German who, who was like, oh, you know those Nazis that they were good. That never happened. So you're not going to piss no. off the Germans either. Person that, that likes Nazis. So yeah, you're right. We know well, the only Nazi, the only Nazi that basically got painted with a good brush is Oscar Schindler. So that's. <laughs> My, oh my god! It, it's one of my one of my favorite fucking Simpsons jokes. I, I laugh at this all the time. It was when Mr. Burns tried to make a movie uh, about himself, and he and he was like, "They made a movie about Oscar Schindler, and I don't understand the difference. We both made shells for the Nazis, but mine worked, damn it!" Right. You know, and to be honest, I mean, you know, he didn't go. He didn't go in there with the best of intentions, did he? I mean, best of intentions came out of it, but he didn't go in there with the best of intentions. So, but, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, there, there's there's. Can you feel the love tonight? I didn't feel any. No, love. I didn't feel any love. No, it's there's just 40, the magic. Forty more to this movie, and wondered. Can I ask you this though? <laughs> this is a photorealistic film where right. the animals are photorealistic so basically this is if if animals could sing and tell a story this is what they would look like how come all the male members have no penises i wasn't gonna say anything <laughs> because if i was didn't want to be the pervert the group that looked under the lion's skirt during this. Simba was castrated <laughs> no balls <laughs> They all were. Even the zebras, the giraffes, everyone. No balls and, and you know, The other thing that, and actually speaking of the, the the zebras and the giraffes and everything, in the first movie with the anim, you know, with the animation, I completely, you know, it, it didn't register to me because I'm just watching this beautifully animated movie. But then when I'm watching the photorealistic part and I'm seeing all these animals cheer at the birth of uh, the birth of Simba, I'm like, the lions eat. Yeah. They're, in the cartoon I, world, I could get I could get that out of my head a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah I, I said but watching a, a you know, I, I realistic. I go, there's gonna be a feeding to make his dinner and cheering for him. <laughs> yeah, who's gonna get all excited about the king of the savannah being born? But you know what you're gonna end up as an appetizer. Oh, yeah. yeah, I have to also sit there and say that and I don't I didn't see it in the animated feature, but I saw it in this one. It's kind of you're like sitting there and they're all gathering for the birth. And then you see these cheetahs and leopards running in between the, you know, like, and it kind of, it's, 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 I agree with you. It's like, what? <laughs> it's like, because... well, I didn't get it in the first one, though, because lions eat all of the game. So even in the first one, it was in the back of my mind when but they it, were, you know, you know, yeah. The... But I think he, because they're animation, you're like, okay, well, it's animation, so therefore. But when you see it photorealistic, you're kind of like, and let's be honest, we've all seen enough Richard B Attenborough, you know, <laughs> BBC, <laughs> Lifetime, uh, David, Lifetime David documentaries to know what would happen if this really occurred in real life. David uh, Attenborough, you're like me, you get your Attenboroughs confused. I always yeah, no, no, it's not Dicky. Is, is it Dicky? No, <laughs> Oh, David's the one that does the animal David, stuff. David, 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 that's it, David. I can't, yeah. I get David. confused too. I say Richard when I mean David. I say David when I mean Richard. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's, a, that's, that's another thing. But that's exactly my point is I'm like, when, when, when I'm seeing photorealistic animals next to each other, I'm like, wait, why isn't that one trying to eat that one? You know, and, and another, another sad thing is, is that you watch this and the thing is when it opens up, it is very beautiful to look at. It is beautiful yeah, to look at. I'm not going to so deny that. Think, 
But then it's like after the circle of life number, it just kind of starts spiraling. You know, do you think that they wanted to make it so lifelike? But that was the whole the, the, the whole charm of the first one was the animation of the faces. You could see the emotion, the love. You could see yeah. that the funniness with the kids and the smart alecky crap. You don't see that, and it does not resonate with the human brain. It just doesn't. And I don't understand why they did it like this, is what I don't get, because it is... Because death was more emotional in the original animation yes. than it was in this. I felt but nothing. Right, it was beautifully filmed. I mean, that is it's a beautiful film. But I hate it. You know, I, I, don't... I, I don't hate it, because ultimately I just kind of look at it and I'm like, oh, okay. It. It just but why? It's just why? Not I, I felt I felt nothing, and it just felt like it went on too long. It definitely yeah, went on. extra twenty nine minutes. <laughs> and and the thing and the, and the music that was added was well. It's just, I mean, I'll say it's like it's the music that was added for Beating the Beast. The music they added for Aladdin. The music they added for um oh what do we uh, mermaid oh my god every time eric opened his mouth i wish someone would kill him but it's uh, like yeah why are you not and the thing is and what pisses me off the most is that these shows are well ryan king is still on broadway and still playing in london and it has that songs that they added are fantastic why don't you just take those songs right. and put them for this why add, and why add inferior music that's shit that basically, I mean, I, I don't, I well, think, do Elton John, I, think Elton John, I think Elton John, and this is not against Elton John, oh. but I'm sure Elton John's like, what the fuck? fuck? You. I wrote music for The Lion King. I wrote you more music for the stage show. Why aren't you using this? It's fine. If you want, if you, if you're gonna have Beyonce write a shit song, I'll just, I'll just throw you what I, I, I pissed this out in the toilet. Have this. Yeah. And that's what it felt like because, and even, and even the, the, you know, must be, you know, can't wait for it to be king. The circle of life or arrangement, the African sounds of the circle of life and all the arrangements for that have been bastardized. They sounded more African in the original. They were. That's what I thought. The African, I the African sounds and all that, all the legal M work that he worked lovingly in the original animation. Even though they said that he worked here, I'm not sure if he had, he was, he was strongly inputted in he, here. He didn't. He I think he was an afterthought. He didn't get a free reign on it if he was working on it. Well, when you read in the description of this movie, Lebel M should be up there like he is with everyone. A music arranged, you know, music written by and arranged by Lebel M. Yeah. He's not he doesn't even get an arrangement. I mean his name's on there, but I think that's because it's the original. I don't know. Maybe they were just, I don't know, trying to get jinky with the times. Everything is changing. Um, well, I think part of it was, I think, was wanting to use the technology, which I get it. I get that. I get that completely. Well, Ferris said when we were watching this that when you see the animals move, they're not they they move sideways. You know, animals naturally move sideways. These animals are only able to move forward, forward. or back a little bit, but they're not. They don't move to the side. Yeah, and animals in real life. Can go walk sideways. It's almost and, like this, that. So, so Vera said it gives them this kind of unnatural. They don't feel natural. They feel like they've been drawn. Was their first the uncanny valley? So, you know, it's yeah. That that's. I, I it's it sounds like we're we're all kind of in the same boat on this, which is 
Well, we, think, well, we love the first one. We just don't understand what the fuck happened with this or why they made it. Well, I really, this, and the thing is, I really, <laughs> when, I, when I saw this, I mean, this is the second time I've seen it and I probably will never see it again. But when I first, when I first saw this, when it first opened and I saw the way it looked, I was like, I was quite excited and I really, so I. I really, I really wanted this to so work. Did I. And then it just doesn't. Yeah, the, the 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 opening sequence. I sat, uh, you know, when I when I'm sitting there watching it, I'm watching that opening sequence, and it gets to the title of Lion King, and I'm like, okay, maybe the maybe there's potential here. Mm. Man, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work, and the final they alligated or elongated the fight sequence between Simba and Scar, which doesn't work either. Yeah. They dragged a lot. Of, that's why. That's why I said like they dragged the stuff out. And like I said on the opposite end of it, a few minutes ago for for the 1994 version, these are ostensibly kids' movies. Let Let's be honest. They work for us as adults. I was a kid when the first one came, or I was a teenager when the first one came out. Um, but that's you know that's made for that's made for children who have shorter attention spans. Which you know, 87 minutes for the 1994 version perfect you get your story in you get in you get out you don't have any wasted it's been there for two hours just, just i th i think the reason why this month this film made money is because of the idea and i think we were yeah. all excited that while well, lion king done like with real animals and i think we were all excited and i'm sure that it made us money because a lot of parents love the lion king so much that they took their children because they i mean the they, they made all this money. It. Everybody was disappointed that they shelled it out. I can tell you that. Yeah, and, I, and the thing is, I kind of wondering is, um, how many people went and bought the Blu-ray or the or the DVD afterwards? Because if you really love a movie and you love it so much, you'd buy that. And I wonder um, what. And the thing is, they're not even saying anything what those sales are whatsoever at home. I, home deal. I can make a comparison because when we covered. Beauty and the Beast a couple months ago. I bought I bought the Blu-ray of the original Beauty and the Beast because I'd already seen it and I know it I, I know it and love it. And I, I was like, you know what? This gives me an excuse to buy it because I'm gonna watch it for the podcast. Same with the original Lion King. After we did the uh the make remake for Beauty and the Beast, I bought the Blu-ray for the remake because I'm like, you know, it's not perfect, it's solid. Will I revisit it? Maybe, maybe not. But just in case I do decide to, it's going to be on the shelf. I'm not going to do that with this. No. I'm not going to go buy the Blu-ray to this. Um, and also, I was discussing with a friend of mine, uh, my my, uh, my friend Adolfo. He's got a, he has a couple of little girls. And he said, you know, I've shown them all the Disney classics. And we've seen all these live action remakes because anytime they want to watch any of these movies, they never pick the remakes. They always pick the animated version. So, and that kind of reinforces the idea to me of why are we bothering with these? Why? Do you want to hear something interesting though? Get this. This remake of A Lion King on Blu-ray sells for three pounds 45 on Blu-ray on Amazon. The Blu-ray of the original animated feature is between seven ninety nine and twelve dollars. Yeah, oh, there you have it. So it goes to tell you that man. basically that must they're trying to give that one away. Just get rid of it. Yeah, um, it's uh, a supply and demand thing. Yeah, no one wants it. 
So people are still buying the animated feature, but they're not buying the remake. And I, and I, you know, there, there's a part of me also that because like you know, I see physical media. Although I, I think it's going to make a resurgence now with the, the, all the fuckery of the streaming services, uh, physical media is in its decline, and I'm at, I'm at that point where I'm like, man, if I want those Disney movies on Blu-ray that I always thought are always going to be there, and I never bought them because I'm like, they're always going to be there. Yeah. Now uh, I better go out and get them now. And when I see them at Best Buy and I see them that you know I see them for like ten to fifteen dollars, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll grab. Like, every time I go to Best Buy, I grab you know two disney movies because i'm like okay i'm gonna because they they have the they, they have them all out and i'm like uh which ones don't i have? i'm gonna grab this one and this one that i don't have and i and i take them home um yeah and a lot of times i'll see like there's like one or two copies left because they have like an entire thing of disney movies when you look at the you know it'll be like either hey this product is no longer in stock or it'll be like there's one or two copies left of the the original cartoon versions, and then they have like a stack of the Blu-rays of the new ones that nobody's touching. Yeah, and I, I think it's just it's yeah. supply and demand. Um, and it's sad, really, because this money, this money, they could probably save a small town, a small you know country in Africa. So probably that was the other thing. Like two hundred thirty million dollars, you could have. You could have fed so many homeless with that money, and you yeah. instead decided to make this movie that nobody, nobody wanted, isn't necessary, isn't I mean, needed. You could have killed the blood diamond trade. Yeah. This is I, again Lloyd Lloyd Kaufman being you know being my mentor. I saw an interview with him the other day from the nineties where he's talking about why are we spending fifty million dollars on movies? He's like I you know I make my no movie that I make costs more than three hundred thousand dollars. He's like, because I feel I feel like with all the problems we have in the world to spend two hundred million dollars on a movie is disgraceful because I could because if I had two hundred million dollars, my first thought wouldn't be, hey, let's make a movie. My first thought would be, you know, maybe maybe let's get a you know, maybe let's see if we could do something to say, you know, to, to, to fix the homeless population. You know, maybe maybe build build something we can house people, you know, maybe build another hospital, you know, donate donate it to the local school system. You know, something like that. I have I had the question, the simple fact that how come a movie can cost as much as this movie is to make? And but yeah, you have a movie that is done on location and done with lots of action sequences and smashing cars, so on and so forth, and that's cheaper than what we just saw. Right. Yeah. Or, no streets had to be closed down. No police or city councils had to be paid off. No, it's like, no stunt work needed whatsoever. And this film still costs more than anything. I thought. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it went to. I'm sure it went to the actors. Well, this is the problem when you cast only names. Why you know they they could have got better cast actors. There's so many people working in animation at the moment. They're making great names of themselves, and they could have hired though them. They it's it's amazing. It's the studios tend to spend more money to cut out the people who are who are the craftsmen that work on stuff, and it it boggles the mind. And I, I think it goes back. John Cleese uh, said he was asked 
during a uh, during an interview, why do you think that there's so many hundred million dollar movies now and so and like the mid budget movie has disappeared? And he said because it's easier to it's easier to make a million dollars disappear from a two hundred dollar movie and not have to account for it than it is if you were making a ten million dollar movie. Yeah, and I think also part of it. I think I think there's and I think this is why the studios were so adamant about not not wanting to open the books during all the strikes over the summer. Because all the actors and all the writers and all the directors were like, wait a minute, why don't we open the books? Why don't we see how much money you're losing? And all the executives were like, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's not be hasty. Right. Well, when we're living in a world where Titanic didn't make its money back, go figure that one out. So. Or Star Wars. If you listen to David Prowse, who played Darth Vader, the physical embodiment of Darth Vader, he said he never got any residuals from Star Wars because every time he asked about it, they said, well, we're technically still in the red. We spent another billion dollars on advertising this year. How did he not get paid? Oh my like, god! Like you just said, no, he got paid. He just never gets his residuals because he he didn't have a Hollywood. Saying, saying how he they don't get that residual action at all. He was a Brit. He wasn't. He didn't have a. I don't think he had like a major Hollywood agent who would have saw to it that he got it. But every time he contacted them because he had it in his contract, and you know this is one thing, man. When when uh you know my first the first screenplay that I sold, uh my my lawyer made made sure that I put in there that I don't get net. I get gross. Gross, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I mean, Star Wars. God knows how much money that made the original made anyway. Because then, you, then you have the thought of like when he went back through and remastered them and re tinkered with them. Who's who's keeping track of them? How much they made after that? That version. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly, and, and I think that's the thing is, I, I they they get and this is how if if you're if you're an aspiring actor, writer, whatever, once you get to the point where you can call the shot. And always listen to your entertainment attorney. They're expensive, but they 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 exist for a reason. And they're going to make sure you don't get screwed over. Make sure you get gross points, not net points. Because net points means we have to make all our money back before you start getting residuals. And That's they could always turn to you and say, well, we just spent another billion dollars advertising this movie. Well, yeah. So technically we're in the red. Sorry. Well, they did. Um, It's quite funny, but it's only until it's the 1990s that Actors were even able to make money off their um, DV, um, VHS and DVD. Yeah, and that's because of Peggy Lee. Peggy Lee sued Disney for uh, He's a Tramp, um, Lions of the Tramp, because she wrote the music. And she she sued them. And then after she won, that's kind of set the precedence for everything else then. But can you imagine? It's like you can have doing something, then DVD, get nothing for or Blu-ray or anything. Well, that's what was happening with streaming. Actors were like, wait a minute. Uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, uh from Breaking Bad. Um, oh, uh, uh, Cranston. Oh no, uh, Jesse Pinkman. Um. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, I can't said, remember his name. He said he hasn't seen a dime from Netflix. That's hard. Jesse. Yeah. That's, That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And I'll tell you this about streaming. Also, uh, Dave Canfield and I made uh, uh you know made a couple movies together. When they were coming out on DVD, we were actually getting residual checks. Now, every single movie we've made are on streaming services. I haven't seen a dime from How any of those. Work, though. I mean, aren't you entitled to that? That was your work. Well, there's, well, when the contracts were made for these movies, streaming wasn't a thing. Right. Well, and the odd thing is. That's still, your, that's still your work. But if you look at if you look at YouTube, I mean, we don't make YouTube residuals on our channel, but YouTube residuals go by so many millisecents 
per second per view per yeah view. but if something happens someone doesn't watch all the way to the end sometimes that avoids it it's been like um when we did publishing for instance amazon self-publishing this is interesting about self-publishing self-publishing and then you put them on the amazon kindle site so people can do it and then you get charged per page that they read but if they didn't go all the way to the end of the book then you don't get the author wouldn't get money but the thing is if you have blank pages at the end of the book and the and the person who's reading on their Kindle doesn't click past those blank pages till they get to the uh, the screen that says, would you like to rate this? If they don't get that point, no money to the author. So I remember like when we, when we had to put stuff on self-publishing, we had to come make sure that the pages are really, really tight. And at the end of it, there was no blank pages at all. It just yeah. ended there or you got no money. That's ridiculous. And the same thing with streaming services as well because... I've noticed with streaming services as well now is that when the titles are coming up, then this other stuff's coming up. And sometimes it cuts off and starts throwing this other stuff. So if that works the same way as Kindle books used to, I mean, they've changed it now. They had, someone sued them and it took a, changed everything. But if that's the way. So if you don't watch anything to the end or like YouTube, you don't watch it to the end. Does that mean they don't have to pay? So if you don't watch it till the very last blank screen comes up into a copyright of such and such at the very end, they might not have to pay. And who watches anything to the very end to that? I wonder uh, now, yeah, because I cut it here. off. There's 20 minutes of closing credits at the end of this version of The Lion King. Mm. But, it's not Disney, but, it's, but you already paid Disney for it anyway if you're on Disney+. Plus. So. Yeah, but, I'm, but I'm, what I'm wondering is the residuals. Is it going to be in there that well? This, well, Joe didn't watch it all the way to the end, because so you don't get your. Well, Disney, Disney does. Disney has in their contracts. I don't think they pay residuals if they at because, all. Okay, maybe. Well, because you're in the prestige of being in a Disney film that's going to last forever. I mean, because that that um, Robin Williams for Aladdin, for instance, they they bought him a Picasso, and that was his payment. Really. So I'm not quite. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that works with Disney. I mean, but this. I mean, the original Lion King, maybe not. Maybe for this, yeah. I don't know. But well, then maybe. Again, but then again, every everyone that worked on this film and was in this film, I wouldn't pay them any money anyway, except for John James Earl. <laughs> I I mean, also there there's maybe the idea that you get the the the, the front loading for the budget of this movie to pay all these people was so high that it's like you. What are the residuals going to be to you anyway? That could yeah. be it too. Well, you're making you're making twenty million dollars on this movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and if you're paying someone, but if you're paying them net, and you're paying them, you know, point one percent on that net. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but I mean, Beyonce wrote a song, so maybe they were hoping she'd have a hit with that, so she'll get paid off. I mean, I don't her, think there's really any hits from this new or anything new came out of it. That spirit song was shit. If she had a hit with that, that's because the gays loved it. But I can't understand why anyone. I don't even remember it. To be fair, I watched this movie last night, and I do not remember the song already. It's called. I don't she's in Spirit. I only remember Spirit, and she as they're going back to fight Scar, and it plays in the background, and. And her mouth's not even moving, so it's not. It's like it's kind of like it's just horrible. I can't. Remember, I can't even. Remember. All I remember is she's like, "My spirit, my spirit." And I can't. I can't tell you what the tune sounded like. I can't say nothing beyond that. I'm this like, oh, this is the thing. Awesome. Before yesterday, because I I watched one of them before I went to work, and I watched one of them after I got back from work. 
before yesterday, I haven't seen the original Lion King in years. I remembered every note of every song and I could probably yeah. have sung it for you. I probably could have gone without seeing this yesterday. I probably could have gone without watching it and I probably would have been fine today talking to you guys about it. Yeah. I don't remember shit about the remake. Like specifically. Except yeah. for, you know, the, the, the plot and story points that were the same anyway. Like, I don't remember anything specific to this movie that was that was special about it. The only thing I can remember is the Lion King, um, when they sang um, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, was quite fun in this version. That's Matt Thumbrell and the Be Our Guest. And that's it. The Be Our Guest moment, yeah. The Be Our Guest moment is great. I will I, definitely give them that. Because I wasn't expecting it, so that was kind of cool, I have to admit. And when they and when they sing the Lion Sleeps tonight, and I think the reason why that went well is because the, the other animals started joining in with them. Yeah, yeah, but it's cute, and I think and that that stuck out, but nothing else. <laughs> Don Farrell, he should just go back to doing um the man the Mandalorian animal face expressions. Yeah. Tell what they were feeling. You couldn't even really see sadness when his father died. There's just it was just a blank slate. That's that's what I didn't like. Well, I'll say that. Simba dead. They had like these dead eyes and dead face. Yeah, that yeah. didn't work with them. Except for Simba. Simba was the only one that I didn't feel had dead eyes. Yeah. But I, I, and that was really Simba and Nala were adorable in this. They were they were cute as hell in this. Yeah. But that's, that, that's 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 cub sin syndrome though. It's like what it's like child child actor syndrome. They're all cute like, till they child, grow up. Other adults like. <laughs> They're all cute till they grow up. Oh, and, and uh, Mufasa and Scar. Although you know there there are little differences, for the most part, I couldn't tell them apart in this movie. Well, Scar Scar had mange. She has been called mange. Yeah, it, it, but I mean, like on, on a wide shot, I wouldn't been able to. Uh, yeah, Scar Scar. He, I, Scar wasn't very prominent. He just looked like he had mange. He just looked, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like this dog that had mange once. Like it looked like it's like yeah. So they just yeah. take it to mange. Watch out! Here comes mange. <laughs> I guess we should rate it. So start with you, Vicky. What do you rate this version? I'll give it a three because it had pretty scenery, but I, I just, it just wasn't, it just didn't <clears throat> like the other one. I think anybody that watches both of them, though, I don't even have to explain. You guys get it. So, yeah. What about yourself, Joe? What do you rate it? I, I was going to say exactly the same thing Vicky said for the exact same reasons. Three stars because, yeah, okay, it looks pretty, it functions. You know, you the, the the story makes sense, but the story makes sense because it's derived because it's derived from another great movie. Um, the stuff that they added really, for the most part, doesn't you know doesn't do anything for me. It, it ultimately, to me, is just an exercise in you know just doing something for the sake of doing it, and because we have the technology now, which maybe isn't the best reason to do this. And like Keith said a little you know a little while earlier in the podcast. There are movies that Disney made that weren't successful that maybe you could take one of those and give it this treatment cool. and be like, hey, look, we're going to improve upon the original. Like yeah. Peace Dragon. We'll cover Peace Dragon later, but the original Peace Dragon, 
it is a labor to get through. It's, it has its moments, but we see the remake of the Teeth Dragon a lot better than the original. Also, I think there's the same. Wait, was that also John Favreau? No, John Favreau did the Jungle Book. Yeah, he did the Jungle Book, which again and, was. And this is another. I love John Favreau. I think he's a great director. Every movie of his I, that I've seen, I've liked. The movies that he's written that I've seen, like Swingers, I like. Yeah. This just felt hollow. It just felt hollow and soulless. It felt like, it felt like director for hire. Yeah. How do you make the Lion King hollow and soulless? You know, the thing is, and I, I'm, this is what kind of amazes me, is that I can understand wanting to work with an all-African cast or African-American cast. I get that. So why not get a edgy African-American director or African director to direct? That would have been cool. That would have been a nice day. Somebody who would have had a voice. Somebody who would have had somebody. I really don't know how a Jewish guy can talk about you know the the problems of black America if that's what they wanted to portray. Or no or no or no or no the struggles. Well, technically, though, this shouldn't even. We all have our struggles. I'm just saying it's a different kind of struggle. But what I'm saying is slavery. This is Africa, so that shouldn't even be part of the equation. No, but no, but what I'm saying is that they wanted an all African, African American or African cast for this because of the sound, the music, and everything like that, and because it's set in Africa. I understand that. I go, I, I, I go for that. Same thing. Like if I'm gonna watch Mulan, maybe it's best. You know, Mulan has. You know, Japanese. I actually liked the remake of Mulan. Except well, they have a Jap- but I'm saying they have a Japanese director. But I, but I, but I didn't. Like, this would it make? Wouldn't it but make? They more- didn't have the little dragon. Why not, why not have an African director do it? They just didn't have yes. it. But they too did not have the little, you know, the little dragon guys. It was really kind of more historical, though. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that. Even with Lion King, I mean, if they're gonna, if that's if this is the reason why they were doing it, and this is part of the part of their press junket here, right? You know, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing or a, a good. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm, yeah, I'm, not, I'm indifferent by it. I don't care. It's, I don't care what you give me, just as long as it's good. I don't care. Right. I don't but I'm just thinking that maybe if they had an African director, maybe they would add some nuances that we that would have lifted this that we might. Somebody who had, yeah, somebody who had a voice and a stake in it that would have been like, no, I'm using this to make a statement. Yeah, and it probably would work because maybe, you know, they they probably know more about devastation in Africa than probably so. whatever whatever that means. I mean, there's, you know, I know I I work with Nigerians and you know the family unit's a lot different than the family unit I grew up with, and there's a lot it had a lot of different more nuances than I have, and maybe that would have helped. I don't know a couple. A couple of months ago, there was this uh, this this South Park special where you know you know enter the Panderverse, I you know, that. and it kind of feels that. And you know what? You know what really nailed it home for me. And I haven't seen the Marvels, and I don't know that I'm ever going to see the Marvels. I probably will never see the Marvels. But you had an African American director, Nia DaCosta, make that movie, and for the last couple of months, she's been like, "Look, uh." Nothing that I wanted to do was really left in that movie. Disney basically cut the movie the way they wanted to and basically kept her out of the editing room. Right. And it seems to me like in that case, what they did was they went, hey, let's let's hire an African-American director. But then they don't let her do her thing. They don't let her do anything that she would have done. So what was the point? Yeah. If you just cut her out of the editing room anyway. 
I wonder what they're thinking over there. Who's in charge of who? Well, you, know, I, you know who I wish they kind of had made this film as well? The person who directed it on Broadway, Karen Tamire. There you yeah. go. Karen Tamire's film, Across the Universe, is a masterpiece. Yeah. Across the Universe. I love that. Rita. Rita, excellent film. Why not her? I covered that. Why not? Why not? Why not use the the Broadway cast? Yeah. Why not? That's what I don't get. I'm saying this could have been I, epic. could have been this, great. This, it could have been great, but they just didn't think it through. Well, I, I think they did think it through, but I think what ended up winning out was the greed of well, if we have Beyonce, who's a name, yeah, true. it'll make more money, regardless of whether or not she's right for the role. If we have, you know, if we have. Instead of using these these actors on Broadway that the mainstream doesn't know, we're going to load it up with cameos. Gotcha. But but if Would you it, look at but if you look at their earlier animation features, they that that's who they loaded up their films with. That's what, that's what I was going to I was going to mention. Keith mentioned earlier what made the first Lion King work was <laughs> that you went with you know people who might not necessarily be known they're not you know they're not like mega stars i mean you had you had some star actors in the original lion king doing voices matthew broderick but to be honest i mean the only people if you imagine matthew broderick they go and you go ferris bueller oh yeah. okay you know yeah. if, if you say james earl jones most people are just going to be blank yeah they might be blank on what he looks like because I feel like he's more famous for his voice than he is for, for you know how he looks. Now uh, he is. Back then, maybe not, but maybe yeah. now. Well, I mean, and now, um, oh, he had already done Star Wars. Or, um, even Jeremy Irons is like, if I mention Jeremy Irons to the normal person, they're not going to know who he is. If I no. start mentioning things that he did, like Die Hard with a Vengeance, and you know, and films that he's done, Reversal of Fortune, or whatever, yeah, he's the bad guy in this movie. He's done. They're going to know who he is, but off the cuff, no, no. Most well, people, don't I, uh, yeah, cinephiles will know. Yeah, but yeah, like if you mention him to you know Johnny Six Pack, you go, oh, the bad guy from Die Hard with the Vengeance. Oh, okay. Yeah, precisely. You know, and you have to you have to prerequisite, and that's why, you know, you don't, and that's why I don't think he really. And I'm and I'm I'm a huge fan of Joseph Gordon Levitt. I, I anything that he's in, I'll go and see it. I yeah. really like his stuff a lot. If he's voicing something. I'm not quite sure I'm going to pay to see him voice something. I'm not. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pick his voice out. Precisely, you know. James Earl Jones has a distinct voice. Jeremy Irons has a distinct voice. Yeah. I mean, what they could have got Kevin Conroy to play um, Scar yeah. in Batman. Yeah. Yeah, they could have actually. Yeah, they could, but they, they want. Could, they they wanted anyone from the Batman animated universe and put him in this movie. They could have used E.D. Daly as Nala. That would have been fun. <laughs> that really actually would Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson has a distinct voice. Why not use Ernie Hudson? Ernie, Ernie Hudson, yeah. Chris no. Rock has a distinct voice. Eddie Murphy has a distinct voice. Yes. Uh, I liked him as Mushu the Dragon. <laughs> Tyler, pa Tyler, pa Tyler Perry has a distinct voice. Yes, yeah. there's another one. Um, you could have used any of these people, and th this movie would have been better. Any anybody who's ever slept with a Kardashian has a distinct voice. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I'm, I mean, I, you know, I'm going back to rate. I'm going to rate this two and a half to a three. Three for visuals. I just didn't feel anything, and 
I'm going to give it a five for being very, for disappointing, but, uh, <laughs> but for his enjoyability, yeah, three. I'm, yeah, it, I just feel very, I feel very let down. That's the, pro that's the problem with this, but I feel very let down with this film. You know, yeah. I want it. I want it. That's a good way of putting it. And I feel let down. I feel like I've been fucked. Patiently. It's well, we we were all excited about it when they, when it came out. The kids, because it was the kids, one of their favorite cartoon movies when they yeah. were little, and then they were all excited when this came out. It's like, all right, the magic returns. My kids were so disappointed, and that would have been the target audience, and yeah. they were not happy with it. So. Ultimately, it doesn't need to exist. I think ultimately that's the biggest thing is you're trying to, you know, like if, if like if somebody told me today we're going to remake Casablanca, why? Uh, that's a What's big point. What's the fucking point? I'm going to remake Sunset Boulevard. Why? Yeah. Well, they have done it now a musical on stage. So. Yeah. What was? <laughs> I said they have remade it. It's just it's just a musical on stage instead of a. Yeah. Movie. Boulevard? I don't know. Yeah. Boulevard, yeah, with Andrew Lloyd Webber. I had no, I had no idea that it was remade as a musical. When was this? Uh, when was this? Um, well, it had Glenn Close. It starred Glenn Close when it originally opened. So it must have uh, been in the '80s or '90s. No, um, 2000s. In the 2000s. Okay. That's why I said at least the '80s or '90s. She would have had to have been. All right. Well, I had no idea. I had no idea Sunset Boulevard was remade as a musical. But yeah. you know, musicals are one of my blind spots, much like westerns. Westerns and uh, musicals. Saying that, I mean, it's it flopped. So I mean, they keep trying to bring it back because it's Angela Webber, but they're still trying to rework it. Still tries to get goes for a little bit of a rework and tries to make a comeback. So. But yeah, but I mean, but my my yeah, my basic point is, if you're gonna try to remake something, why try to remake something that worked on every level? And mm -hmm. is absolutely perfect. There's no reason, except yeah. money, and that's yeah. the wrong reason to remake anything. Mm -hmm. I understand that it's a business, but there's no there, there's no point in just rehashing something just for the sake of rehashing it, just to make a few more dollars. They could they could save millions just by doing it with puppet um, shadow puppets. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there's a, there's another conversation that we can have. And I'm sure we will. Over the, where is the money going in a lot of these movies? Because it's not going on screen. I just, I just don't understand why CGI or computer graphics are so expensive. I think they're. I think that it's. It feels like one of those things that are being farmed out that they're being right. They're being raped for their money for. Because to be honest, CGI should be getting cheaper and getting more. Yeah, expensive. that's the whole point. Is yeah, we're not using these materials now, so therefore it should be getting cheaper. It's getting easier too. And it's it looks easy. like all these CGI movies, Beauty and the Beast, this one, and um, seems to cost be costing a hell of a lot more money than the animation. And considering the animation films have a, a huge people animating them, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people animating. How come they're still cheaper than these CGI ones when basically these hundreds of people can be done in you know, what is a third of the staff for CGI? Why is it cheaper for me and to CGI rent? CGI still more expensive. Why is it cheaper for me to rent a location and film something than it is for you to film something on a green screen where you can literally key it in later? And you're not paying for people to stay in hotels or anything because they're just coming in from their homes. Yeah. Why? Why is this more expensive? Where is this no money? Shooting, which is expensive. 
So, yeah, where's all this money going? What you know? And I, and I said, I said that when I when I watched The Flash earlier this year, I said it when I watch a lot of these movies now. I'm like, there's no excuse. Like, I'll be kinder to a movie if you told me that I watched a movie that's you know eh, it's so so it's okay, but it was made for a hundred thousand dollars. I would give that a higher rating than if a movie of the same quality was made for $400 million. Because yeah. why, why does that movie, why, why does there's no reason for if you're, if you have a $400 million budget, you have major studio backing, you have the greatest technicians and, and, and crest people, you have access to, you know, major movie stars, some of the finest actors in the world. There's no reason that you know your movie should look like the Flash. Yeah, not a fucking reason. Well, it's a bit like um we were watching Wonka. I haven't and, seen um, it. Do you guys like it? Yeah, it's okay. It's cute. It's a it's very family friendly, but it feels a very young family friendly. Um, there was not enough to. I mean, it's okay. I don't think there's enough there to keep the adults entertained, but I think the children should latch onto it. Maybe they'll make it a a favorite of theirs. But there there's one part where there's this CGI. And it's just so CGI, and I and I still can't get over it. It's like you spent all this money on this movie, and there's not a lot of CGI going on it. But this one CGI thing was so ropey. It's like, couldn't you just wait, spend another couple of weeks on this to make it look something? Exactly. Yeah, but it is the way it is. Well, this. brings us to the end of the literary license podcast now our next make remake will be in march which will be covering pete's dragon from 1970s and the remake from 2014 and of course we're back to our original programming in january for the new year which will be our january is our death and politics month we'll be covering once upon a time which will be covering covering watership down the book by richard adams and the 1978 film with the same name Batman the Animated Series comes back with The Worry Men, Sideshow, A Bullet for Bullock, and Trial. And Two for One, Dark Families will be covering The Iron Giant from 1999 and The Monster House from 2006. Anthologies will be continuing with Sin City from 2005 and Southbound from 2015. And of course, Doctor Who will continue with the Daleks Master Plan in the Ark, which started airing on the 13th of November 1965 to the 26th of March 1966. So it's good night for myself and good night, Vix. Night, everybody. Good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. I'll see you next week for Watership Down.
journey may lead me. Let your prayer.